Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom Collaborations for DC Spotlight for September 5th, 2023. Apologies, everybody. I wasn't here last week. Uh, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about not being here last week. Good thing, bad thing. Rocky was on quite quite a tear on some of these books. I didn't see them the way that he saw them. In fact, we just spent the last 45 minutes debating before we started recording about some of the points that were made. Uh, I don't disagree that uh, Night Terrors just wasn't that great. It wasn't that original of an event. Wasn't that exciting of an event. Uh, some wasted potential there with the Sleepless Night. Such a fantastic name and concept. I sort of feel like Williamson trying to do what Scott Snyder did with the Dark Knights and Dark Knights and Dark Knights Death Metal. You know, mashing up Batman and Aquaman, Batman and Doomsday, Batman, Wonder Woman, what have you. But the Sleepless Nights, we just didn't get enough of them on the page to uh, to, to really make them exciting. And then as far as the story goes, yeah, some different plot stuff. I think the Nightmare Stone itself really was the one pulling the strings. Insomnia, definitely worthy of being a big bad, but even he was hoodwinked by the, the Nightmare Stone. And then I didn't think the art was that great. Uh, but I did feel like Williamson did a good job of wrapping everything up. It did make sense um, to me anyway. I know Rocky was having a hard time with some of the plot points, didn't think they made sense. They, it made sense to me. But maybe I'm just reading too much into it. I'm, I'm putting lipstick on the pig with, um, you know, Dead Man. Dead Man never had a family, so if Insomnia is going to make create a family for him, why wouldn't he make him look like Dead Man's family? Although I admit it was kind of silly. The Nightmare Stone itself, I think, was the one that created the family for Insomnia, so that's why they ate them. I don't think that was Dead Man that did it. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, I'm glad it's over, but I think it did wrap up satisfactorily, and it did make sense to me, but again, maybe... Um, I'm just making it make sense in my head because I don't want it to not make sense. Um, I feel compelled to say that, uh, you know, prior to us uh, doing this uh, 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 podcast and uh, live stream, uh, Jace regaled me with his opinion and he was he he very ferociously disagreed with me on some points. I, I, I kind of regret that uh, it can't, he couldn't uh, re-express himself because I, it was, uh, it got quite heated and it was, uh, it was, it is regretful that we never, we never got able to, uh, we, we weren't able to rant. Uh, the last time we ranted like that, I think we, it was uh, over Tim Drake's Robin, but, uh, but yeah. you did make some salient points, which I know that you're going to bring up again and we'll talk about it again when we review Batman 137. So uh, yeah, we'll kick off, we'll kick off with Batman one thirty-seven, because uh, yeah, while well, we didn't necessarily agree, or I didn't necessarily agree with some of the things Rocky said on um, on Night Terrors, uh, I, I I sort of thought it was, you know, more just the way I what I took from the story as opposed to what Rocky took from the story. When it comes to Gotham War, it's a little bit more of a fundamental disagreement here, right? Uh, and I think that's sort of the point. Uh, which is what makes it so interesting to me because I think you even have members of the Bat family that are saying, hold on a second. Now, in the review last week, Rocky kept saying the members of the Bat family, everybody except for Tim, uh, except for Bruce and Damien agreed with Catwoman. And I went back and reread this thing three times. And at no point does somebody say, yes, I agree. Other than Jason Todd, at no point do they say, yes, I agree with you, Selena. What they say is we need more data or Maybe she has a point. We need to look at this. Violent crime is down 75%, which, you know, in two, in two months, that does seem, you know, a little far-fetched. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm only going – this is one of the things Rocky and I kept going back and forth on. I'm only going by what is being presented in the book, right? Rocky makes the point that, okay, Bruce is gone for eight weeks. You're telling me that 
violent crime goes down and these other members of the Bat family aren't trying to figure out why. They're not aware of what Selena's up to. Aren't they supposed to be detectives? Aren't trained by Bruce? They should have been able to figure it out. My point being, well, in a way, so they're supposed to be hands-off, right, uh, of Catwoman. I don't want to go after Catwoman unless I have to, unless she's doing something terrible, you know, and, and threatening people. But I'm going to take a little bit more of a hands-off approach to Selena because that's Bruce's woman in a way, right? So that's sort of how, how I take it. And in that meeting, um, when she presents everything, the first thing Nightwing says is, hold on, you're just shifting crime you know, from one thing to another, this, this isn't a solution. So it seems they're conflicted, right? They're, 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 they themselves are conflicted. I'm, I'm conflicted. I don't want there to be crime, but if I have to choose between a crime where somebody's killed and a crime where somebody's jewels are stolen and they can make an insurance claim, it's sort of a no brainer, right? And that's Selena's point, but wrong is still wrong. And, uh, it's sort of interesting. One of the things that Rocky and I didn't talk at all about before, uh, we started, was uh, Bruce Wayne himself and Selena's point of he's still that little boy in the alley. He can't get past it. He sees, uh, actually it might be Jason Todd that makes the point in this issue. Bruce sees things black and white. He's still that 10 year old little boy. Uh, this, it is interesting that they chose to, to put Bruce to sleep for eight weeks. <laughs> All the trauma he's been through, his hand missing. Um, it's giving him a perspective. He's not flexible and he's seeing, you know, all this crime happen and all he cares about, it doesn't matter what kind of crime, I'm going to put a stop to it. No crime is good. Uh, and Selena saying, you know, there's not people being mugged in the alley the way your parents were. Uh, if we can stop violent crime by allowing these thieves to or these criminals to become thieves and, and sort of a victimless crime, if you will, because, again, they're going to be made whole by the insurance, but then, then it affects everybody, right? Then everybody's insurance rates go up. It's sort of that idea that there is no such thing as a, as a victimless crime. So it is a very interesting story and an interesting debate morally that Zdarsky and um, and Tinney Howard have have created here. Um, but on the background of Batman really flying off the hand, Batman's losing it, like for lack of a better term, Batman is is losing it. He's reacting, and it's interesting, right? Like, he doesn't want there to be violence um, either, but yet it kind of goes back to what peace, Peacemaker, right? Like, I love peace so much, I'm willing to do anything for it, including violent things that are antithetical to peace. Batman is so focused on stopping crime that he's willing to commit technically com- crimes himself, Right. You think about that; it's always there. That dichotomy is always there. Batman wants to stop crime so much he's willing to assault people, beat people up, put them in the hospital, destroy public property, do all these sorts of things that are technically crimes themselves in order to stop crime. It makes him seem a little bit more—I don't know—kind of out on the edge when he's he's the one who's perpetrating violence for crimes that aren't violent. So again, it's a, it's a real moral dilemma. Uh, and I don't think there is an easy answer, which is sort of the point of it, right? Yes. All crime is bad. These, these criminals should not be stealing from anybody, but again, it, it's interesting because Batman will, he won't even, st- and it, in a way 
I feel like Zdarsky had to put Batman in the place he's in where he's sort of not, I don't think he's thinking clearly. He's not being logical about this. If he was logic, because logically, if violent crime is down, okay, that's a good thing. I want to keep violent crime down. I want to keep it at its, at its current low rate. Now, how do we add in stopping the nonviolent crime? Right. So if all these, uh, if all these criminals are being trained by Selena to to go in and do high rise burglaries and you know crimes where they're actually not confronting anybody and they're just going in and stealing whatever, um, you know I think it was Tim Drake that said in in battle lines, hey maybe if we could go see the training, why can't you, why can't you have the the training these criminals have used that they've gotten from Selena? Why can't you use their? Why can't they use their training to go stop other criminals in other cities? And you pay them for that, right? Isn't that what Batman Incorporated is in a lot of ways? There's there's other ways to solve this other than Batman just flying off the handle, going, "No, Selena, this is a terrible idea," and resorting to violence, right? Resorting to the very thing that Selena is trying to stop. So, um, I don't know. To me, it, it it makes sense. I know Rocky's going to talk about the Bat Family attacking Batman himself, so I'll save my thoughts on that as kind of a, a rebuttal but th- this is a really interesting story to me because it is possible for two people to have an argument and for neither one of them to be correct i don't think selena's correct in what she's doing in saying okay let's stop violent crime by turning all the criminals into non-violent criminals yes it's great you're stopping non-violent crime but you're still first of all you're training them and if they go back now they're better trained that was damien's point damien has a good point um that's not good because it's still crime. Two wrongs don't make a right. But the way Batman's handling it and flying off the handle and being violent, really violent, actually, and I think it's in the next issue, which I've already read of, uh, which I think is the Catwoman issue, very violent against Jason Todd to the point that he could have really injured him. Um, that's not the way to go either. Uh, I think they're both wrong. I don't agree with either one. Really interesting moral debate. Uh, what are your thoughts on on uh, on this second issue, Rocky? Did it change at all what you thought about the first issue? Maybe well, our conversation uh, changed uh, things. Our, our, well, actually, uh, I do. I do want to. I do want to. I will give you some credit because uh, one of the benefits of uh, when we both do this together, which we couldn't last week, is that uh, if I do get a little hot headed, you're always there to be a sober second thought for me. And I definitely ranted last week. Um, I will. One of the things that uh, I'm going to specifically mention this is is that you and I had a debate about and. And I got to, you know, you could be correct on this. And and that is that I was operating. I got the impression in the in the battle lines drawn that that the that the Bat family was aware of what Selena was doing. And when Selena called that meeting, she used the phrase call another. She tells Marquise, call another meeting. So I assume that she had already had a meeting with the Bat family, that they knew what was going on. I assume that Oracle had attempted to tell Batman but uh, in fact, she did not. Uh, I, ass- I assume that because then, then that Batman met Tim Drake and Tim Drake told him Selena's having a, a, a meeting called a meeting hat, a masks off. And I just assume that eight weeks had passed that the only person that needed to catch up on what was going on was Batman because he's, you know, he, he was, you know, he was the guy that was asleep for in a coma for eight weeks. And there, I will, I will grant you that if Selena managed to drop the crime rate by 75% and the Bat family wasn't aware until that meeting, 
that that really it was Selena was the mastermind behind all that. Okay, I that I I I get into it a little bit more. I'm I'm not gonna that, and I'll just leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. I I do think overall it lacks some verisimilitude for me, given my what I what how I perceive Gotham City and the crime rate. I just can't imagine all these petty criminals suddenly deciding to voluntarily walk into a warehouse and get training, and and all suddenly they're gonna decide to just rob certain high rises and what have you but we'll we'll get into that that later but um yeah i will uh, say i will say that if it had gone your the way you're thinking and before selena undertook this undertaking she met with all the members of the bat family other than batman and said hey this is what i'm gonna do and then they all just let her do it yeah that's bullshit and they yes that is tacit tacitly agreeing with her yeah. So if that's what you thought, then I, I get what you were saying about them agreeing with her. But I don't think that that's what happened. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Well, f- fair enough. Yeah. And I, I guess we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, now, uh, having said that, for, for this per, this particular issue, uh, wow, things, uh, things continue to escalate. Uh, Batman, uh, I, I will say that, that that Batman did have some second thought. He did question himself, even in battle lines, that, well, maybe Selena has a point. But Batman is uh, struggling with the Batman of Zorana, is still ever on his mind. He's tried, he's basically tried to cage the Batman of Zorana out. But Batman of Zorana does still occupy that portion of his psyche that has an influence on him. Is, it is always more aggressive. Uh, very clearly, uh, Tim, you know, Tim Drake and the Bat family, this issue starts off, they're concerned about Batman because after Failsafe, uh, Red Mask, Insomnia, there's the, there's a lot that's been going on. And but But the reality is, is that it's it's not surprising that Batman is not going to tolerate any crime, uh, not at all. And um, I guess in the spirit of uh, civil war uh, of Captain America v Iron Man, I'm definitely on the side of Damien. Uh, and in fact, as I said last week, and I stand by it. The, I, I never thought a day would come when I would 100% side with Damian Wayne over every other member of the Bat family. But alas, that day has come. And and that's fun. Uh, the bottom line is I don't uh, – I can understand the philosophy of, well, you know, if this, if this many people's lives are being saved because you have a, a benevolent dictator – I mean benevolent mobster, I mean Catwoman who's controlling crime – that is a legitimate argument to be made that, well, we have a benevolent mobster. We have a godmother there, a new one. The way she's doing it, it's all it's all well and good. But it's still, it's very difficult to reconcile the that type of, you know, Batman. You know, that's usually a role that the Penguin makes. And so it's, it's really difficult to imagine. I don't know what Catwoman's endgame here is with this she wants to even in this issue she talks about controlling batman keeping him at bay using jason todd to keep him at bay sort of keep him away keep him out of our way while we do what we have to do while we engage in crime that seems that just seems wrong to me that that the bat family like i don't i'm not sure what their end game is are they hoping to to they did they even if they could reason with batman and this is this is what i'm struggling with jace even if batman got rid of the batman or zorana in his psyche I can't imagine even a calm, rational, calm brute Batman, if ever there was one, I can't imagine him ever siding with Selena's approach here to 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 basically allow the type of 
of criminal activity, even some criminal activity to this extent. And what happens with and what happens in this issue is um, um, uh, I just feel like the the entire Bat family, even Oracle, she doesn't want to start a war, but she doesn't want. um, Yeah. She feels that they're all so worried about Batman, that Batman's got out of control, that Batman's angry, that Batman's going to do something terrible. And and really, what what does Batman do? Like when Batman, at the beginning here, Batman stops a couple of Selena's uh, former prison mate friends from robbing robbing a, 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 an elite, a, a penthouse. And I think we're supposed to get the impression that Batman's really mean and cruel and he's causing them pain and he's hurting them. And... I look at that and I see, good, it's Batman kicking ass. Uh, uh, now, I guess you could say, is he using excessive force? Okay, he's using, ex- you know, but that's, that's kind of like, isn't that like what Batman does? But I, I don't, I'm not buying into this narrative that it's clear that Sadarsky and Howard want us to buy into this narrative that Batman's going crazy and Batman's art. Meanwhile, we're supposed to side with a mobster. I have a real hard time with that. And I think that's the point of the story. And I think that's what your point is. That's, that's the, that's the, that's the gist of the story. This is meant to arouse the emotions of the reader say, cause we're picking a side on the one hand, Batman's right. On the other hand, well, you can kind of have Selena's point, but I, I really struggle with it. I really struggle with it. And, um, I, at the end of the day, I, I think that the, once they get Batman out of his, um, if they could get Batman, if all the members of the Bat family could just maybe calm down and have a conversation. But as uh, you and I were talking prior to the po- podcast here, um, just when there's, just when the Bat, any member of the Bat family, just when Batman is about to have a discussion, whether it's with Tim Drake or Nightwing or Oracle, they're always interrupted. They're always fighting. So there doesn't seem to be a moment's peace where they can just stop and have, have that type of conversation. And that, while I can understand that, that's also why I find it lacks a degree of verisimilitude because I don't see the Bat family as letting, you know, I can't, I can't see them letting it get this far out of hand. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I I love the ending to this issue. I love who shows up. I love who shows up. Uh, and it's 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 Vandal Savage, and he's supposed to show up pursuant to uh, Detective Comics. Uh, you know, and he's in Ram V's Detective Comics as well. So I'm wondering if there's a link to Ram V's to the Oregon fi- family. Vandal Savage ends up uh, Oracle sells. I mean, what Oracle does here. I, I, I believe it's Oracle that allows the, the Bruce Wayne, Wayne Manor to be sold. Uh, Oracle uh, manipulates Batman. They're all, they're all basically trying to take down Batman here, the entire Bat family. I, I don't find there was enough justification here uh, for the Bat family to do that. I, I, was, I was actually, I, I'm just stunned that they feel that Batman, who is, who's done nothing wrong in this issue, he stopped crime. And by the way, he's the only one that stopped crime. I think in this issue, uh, and he's and he's being taken down by the Bat family. If this was in any other metric, why doesn't Batman call the Justice League and say the Bat family's gone rogue? Would Superman side with uh, the Bat family? I don't know. Would Wonder Woman? Would Flash? Would Green Lantern? I don't know. Something to ponder here. I don't know because uh, Batman he 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 he's rational in one moment, and then he seems to be having Batman of Zero and Awe in his mind the next. So. I'm not, you know, I, 
I'm I'm more conflicted now because of my conversation with you. Um, but I still, I still, God bless Damian Wayne. So, what, what are your thoughts on this issue? Yeah. So it's a, again, I, I go to the fact that I don't agree. You know, you mentioned uh, we're supposed to choose sides. I'm on neither side. Batman is wrong, and Selena is wrong. They're both wrong. I'm not on either side. It's it's kind of frustrating. So, but I agree with you. Yeah, it lacks a, a little bit of ring of truth here that somebody as smart as Batman wouldn't take a step back and say, hold on a second, let's think about this logically. <laughs> like, I just want some cooler heads to prevail, and that's not going to happen. And, you know, you would think that it is Batman. Cooler heads should prevail. He sh- he's the thinking man's hero. But again, I go back to this is why Zdarsky put him through everything he's put him through over the past year so that we could maybe understand why he's not taking the time to to think about it. Like when he stops these – so he stops those criminals. Yes, it looks like he uses uh, excessive force. Uh, you can make the argument, well, if those guys hadn't been breaking the law, uh, they never would have been in that position. I don't necessarily ascribe to that. I think Batman could have – especially because it's Batman and – you know, they look like a couple out of shape criminals here that are trying to rob this penthouse. He could have stopped them easier and not, not hurt them so badly, but whatever, we'll, we'll set that aside. Um, but later when Batman takes out this criminal named Jimmy Milford, who used to work for Mr. Freeze. And then Tim, um, confronts him. He says, well, you're hitting it, hitting it pretty hard, right? That's eight of Catwoman's people you've rounded up. Um, you know, you just got through with Failsafe and red mask and insomnia you know, maybe you should take it a little easy. And I think Tim's trying to, to, you know, reach him and say, hey, let's stop and have this conversation, right? There's nobody interrupting here, but Batman doesn't want to hear it. And what's what I really find interesting, at no point has Tim said he agrees with Selena or they shouldn't be arresting these criminals. Batman says to Tim, and again, this to me shows how far off the reservation Batman is. He's not thinking clearly. He says, okay, uh, Tim makes the point that assault and murder rates are down. Again, violent crime is down. And um, and Batman says, we do our best to save everyone. I've radioed the police to pick these people up. If I find out you help them get away, I'll arrest you myself. What has Tim done that you would think that Tim Drake is now going to break the law and help these two and help this guy, Jimmy Milford, get away? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all for Batman to say that. Like, Tim... No, Tim's not going to let this guy get away. The guy did break the law. Uh, I, I think what the rest of the Bat family is is saying is, yes, violent crime is down 75%. We, we should still be focusing on that 25%, but we also should be talking to Selena to find a way. They, a lot of the Bat family themselves, they seem, other than Jason Todd and Damian Wayne, Damian who's completely on Bruce's side, Jason Todd who's completely on Selena, everybody else – feel sort of frozen, right? They're, they're like, we don't know what to do. Um, you know, you made the point, Stephanie Brown, she says in this issue, I, she saw one of Catwoman's guys sneaking into a house. She didn't do anything to stop him. That felt weird. I don't know why. It's He's still breaking the law. Stephanie, why didn't you stop him, right? Just because you, you want to stop violent crime as opposed to nonviolent crime, it doesn't mean when you see a nonviolent crime, you just let it happen. So, yeah, they, they seem to be sort of in this in this weird place um and and one thing you didn't mention and and you did mention what selena's end game here that that's the part that I, I really want to talk about as well because eight weeks is in a way it's a long time 
in a way, it's no time at all, right? When you talk about societal behavior, um, long enough to see a pattern, but not long enough to say that pattern's going to stick. So what is Selena's end game? We see a lot of the villains, the supervillains of Gotham all get together, right? Professor Pig, Scarecrow, uh, Killer Moth, Black Mask is there, Two-Face, um, the Ventriloquist, Mr. Zaz, Mad Hatter. They're like, okay, uh, we haven't been able to really accomplish the things we want to accomplish, you know, without henchmen. You made the point last time that really these guys can't do things without henchmen. Well, they can. They're probably not as efficient. Can't do as much. Easier with henchmen. Um, but regardless of that, they're not just going to sit back forever. Eight weeks is not that long. So, again, this I don't think this pattern of nonviolent crime down 75% lasts. It, it just changes, right? Gotham City evolves. These villains evolve um, and start doing things on their own or, or come up with other ways to do them. A violent crime will eventually swing back the other way. So Selena's, Selena's solution, in my mind, is not going to work long term. Um, so that's, you know, that's the other part of it. Um, but to your point about the members of the Bat family taking on um, Batman, like physically attacking Batman, you do notice that they don't physically attack Batman until he and Red Hood are physically, go, you know, attacking each other, fighting each other, right? And they say, Batman, you need to take a step back. I don't take that as the Bat family saying, hey, we agree with Selina, Batman. You you came into Selina's warehouse where she's training everybody and, and basically kicked everyone's ass and destroyed this headquarters of destroyed this home base. Selena's not going to be able to operate out of here. I don't think they go in there and try to stop Batman because of that. I think they're trying to save Bruce from himself in a lot of ways, because they're afraid he's going to go too far with Jason because Jason agrees with Selena and he's going to do something he'll regret with Jason. That that's how I took it. I didn't take it as, Hey, Batman's decided he's going to stop Selena from doing this having this program with criminals in any way that he can. And they're fighting for the side of Selena. I think they're just trying to stop Bruce and Jason Todd from fighting. And again, they want to step, take a step back and say, Hey, we, you know, we need to think about the best way to handle this. Um, but again, I, I could be wrong. I do agree with you. Having Vandal Savage show up at the end is pretty cool. Uh, he bought Bruce's uh, manor. He bought Wayne manor. Uh, we'll see the, some fallout of that. And the way it affects Bruce uh, in the next um, in the next part in part three, uh, which is pretty interesting, and and again illustrates a little bit of how Bruce may, might be sort of losing things. Um, but it's interesting, right? Like he's he's flying off the handle. He's so focused, partly because of his personal feelings for Selena. I think with stopping her program, stopping these criminals or whatever, to the point where he's neglecting things that he shouldn't be neglecting. Like, how could you let somebody else buy Wayne Manor? Why are you even still in the brownstone? Doesn't he have his money back by now? Like, what the hell's going on? Uh, you're losing it, Batman. You're losing it. You're wrong in the way you're handling the situation. Selena's wrong for creating this situation. And I sort of feel like a lot of the rest of the Bat family feels sort of caught in the middle. Uh, they're both wrong in my mind. I'm not on bat. I'm not on team Selena and I'm not on team Bruce. Yeah. Uh, and well, I'm definitely not on team Damien. Never, <laughs> never will be. I don't care. I, I would, well, if Damien said grass was green, I would, I would disagree. Uh, I just, well, no. uh, look, uh, let's be clear here. No one's in favor of a genuinely psychotic Batman, I guess. Uh, but if it's, uh, 
so far, I mean, at the end of the day, Batman f- stops crime. He stops all crime. And I'm on the, I'm on the, I'm on the side of stopping all crime, not, not cherry pick crime. And a godmother gets to decide what, 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 what is and what isn't. Yeah, but, but, but I, if I you're confronted. I, I understand. And, you, and, and you, one of the points you made earlier, I don't know if you made it on the podcast here, uh, but you made it before. And, and it was a good one. You made a point that, well, the, the Bat family doesn't want to take, even if the Bat family was against Catwoman, they wouldn't want to make a move against Catwoman because it's Bat, because they'd want to, they'd want Batman, they'd want Batman to know what they're doing before they take any move against his lover slash almost, almost bride to be, whatever. So I understand that, that, that I get, but I still maintain that this is not the, this should not, ought not be made out to be this difficult decision for this Bat family to make in this particular scenario. I just, I just don't quite see it that way. And, um, but, and, and in fairness, I will say that, uh, uh, by the way, the way you're describing this, Jace, would, would have worked better if I think Teeny Howard would have done a better job in the pages of Catwoman getting to this point. I don't think it was particularly, I don't think it was particularly clear. I don't think it was, th- this was not, I mean, going into Gotham War here, this, I don't think this was adequate setup for it. And I actually, uh, I'm actually more interested in what the Penguin's up to. <laughs> I want the Penguin to come back because, you know, because I just want to make a point that remember the Penguin One Bad Day series? That Penguin written by John, I think it was John Ridley wrote it. The Penguin in One Bad Day was, sounded an awful lot like of what Catwoman is now how the bat the penguin the gotham needs the penguin to keep the petty thieves at bay to keep all the, the the crime in control that's what the penguin that's how the penguin that's how batman let penguin get away with all that stuff in penguin one bad day and here i find uh, similarities here that catwoman in many ways better the devil you know batman than the devil you don't so i like the idea the concept's interesting that well you know what if we can keep the crime weight down, why not have a godmother that I can sleep with and have sex with whenever I want and have some control over her as if as if you control Selena, as opposed to dealing with Two-Face or Joker or Penguin. So I kind of I, I get it. I get it in that respect. I just I just can't see Batman, at least how I've always seen Batman buying into any of this. But, you know, I'm really curious to see how this ends. I really am with uh, with uh, Vandal Savage on, on the scene. There's going to be more players on the scene. As you said, you've read ahead as well. This this is going to get very much more interesting. I'll say this to viewers, much more interesting before it ends. And so uh, it's a hell of a lot better already than how I found Night Terrors. So. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, we're really talking about a society, right? Like, is it possible to have zero crime? I don't think I don't think it's possible. So if you have to have some crime, you know, if there's two crimes occurring, one is violent, people are going to die, and one is somebody stealing jewels out of a safe. Which one do you want the Bat Family to stop? I mean, it seems a no-brainer, right? Like life is precious, can't be restored. Jewels can be replaced. Jewels can be you get paid off by your insurance company. That's not the case with you know somebody's life. So it's, there's more value there. So. Again, Selena has not thought this through. It's not really going to work to to long term lower violent crime. It'll just end up shifting in my mind. But you know, it is an interesting it is an interesting moral debate. But again, I think they're both wrong because I don't think what Selena's doing will work long term. The way Batman's handling it is not right either because what they should be what he should be doing is what Tim wants to do, right? Like, hey, let's go look at the training. Let's go uh, fi- find out what's working. Let's go talk to these criminals. 
I mean, for lack of a better term, town hall meeting there at, at Catwoman's headquarters and go, why are you decide? you talk to the criminals. Why did you decide to take this life of crime? Why did you decide to go work for Two-Face, Mr. Freeze, Penguin, whomever, and, and commit these violent crimes? And why are you now willing to be trained by Catwoman to, to undertake nonviolent crimes? You've taken, you know, a step in the right direction. How do I make you, how do, how do we help you take the next step to where you're not going to be committing crime at all? That to me, that would be more, a more worthwhile endeavor for Batman to be spending his time than going out and trying to stop these criminals that have better training now. But yeah. I don't know. I, I guess that doesn't make for a very exciting comic. Let's just have a town hall meeting with Batman talking to criminals. So, all right, let's move on. Rocky and I have talked about <laughs> this for like two hours now. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll pivot over to Fire and Ice. Welcome to Smallville, written by Joanne Starrer. Natasha Bustos on art. Tamara Bonville on colors. Ariana Mayer on letters. Uh, I like what's, uh, what's being done here. First of all, the covers are absolutely spectacular. Um, especially, and I think I mentioned this before, we may even have, have shown it. Uh, I can't remember if we did or not, but there's a, unfortunately it's a one in 25 Kevin Maguire cardstock cover where it's just fire and ice with the old school justice league international logo or, or justice league uh, logo. And they're looking, you know, kind of looking up at the camera and it's just fire and ice and they're looking around going, is it just us? Like, or is everybody else uh, that, you know, very famous cover. It's been homaged a ton of times. Um, the normal covers, Terry Dodson with fire and ice looking beautiful. Dodson draws very beautiful women. David Nakayama has the B cover a little more dynamic, uh, but also very beautiful. And then, of course, you have a Jen Bartel cover where the fashion is is uh, at its forefront. And Amanda Connor does a 1 in 50. So, yeah, you can't go wrong no matter which cover uh, you pick. So we know Fire and Ice. I hope you guys all had a chance to listen to my interview with Joanne Starr from uh, San Diego Comic-Con. But we know Fire and Ice were, for lack of a better term, banished to Smallville by Superman because of the fight they had in Baltimore where they were fighting Guy Gardner or fire at least was fighting Guy Gardner as much as they were fighting. Um, I think it was Titano. Uh, so there Superman has sent them there to hopefully kind of learn uh, a lesson and, and sort of be reminded why they do what they do. Um, Ma Kent is in this issue as well. She comes across as um, she has a lot of agency in here, which I, which I like. So there's, there's not any place for them to stay which I find a little ridiculous that there'd be no place for them to rent other than uh, an old salon that got closed down. So they're going to be running this beauty salon. One of the girls, 19 year old girl that used to run the beauty salon is going to be working for them. They've got Elron, which is uh, a Kryptonian robot as kind of a, an assistant that Superman sent to, to sort of babysit, I think in a lot of ways, because when uh, fire in hopes of uh, kind of proving herself in the eyes of uh the world again, sort of issues and a challenge to whomever, whatever supervillain wants to come and fight. King Shark of all people shows up. And then before Fire can even take out King Shark, Superman shows up, takes him out in no time. So I have a feeling Elrond is, even though he's pretending to be on the side and uh, he even calls Fire like his Emerald Empress at one point or your majesty, or what have you. And she's, oh, I like that. Uh, I think he, Elrond is sort of a, He's a little mole. He's going to tell Superman what's going on. I can't explain it why else Superman would show up when King Shark shows up. Uh, but there's a little bit of a falling out between Fire and Ice. They've always been really good friends. Uh, Fire does not want to be in Smallville. Ice is trying to make the best out of it um, and and really you know take advantage and, and kind of do what Superman says. Whereas uh, Fire, she's sort of 
being the rebellious teenager and uh, and sort of pushing back against it. And after Superman shows up and and prevents her in in her mind in Fire's mind from stopping King Shark and sort of saving Face, she calls somebody to come and say she's like, "Hey, I need you to come to Smallville. I need you to let me basically kick your ass so that I look better, you know, on social media and what have you." So <laughs> there's a lot of uh, and and I'll let Rocky say who it is. Uh, and I imagine I'll just say the character that it is. The hijinks will ensue 100. percent uh, but a, a little bit meta, a lot of social media stuff, a lot of w- the way people are uh, perceived and what have you. So I like that that's being mixed in with this relationship between Fire and Ice. Joanne Starr, again, I hope you listened to my interview with her. She talked about her love for these characters and, and their relationship. Their relationship is in need of repair right now. Um, and in a way, they are they are very different. Um, and uh, Starr is really exploring that. The way that because they are so different, they're reacting to the situation very differently. Um, and yeah, they're, they're at odds by the time this issue ends. So, um, yeah, the art by uh, Bustos is so good storytelling. It's, it's not my favorite style. It's a little bit, it almost feels a little juvenile, a little cartoonish. Um, but yeah, I thought overall this was a good start. Uh, I'm curious to see where it goes from here. Uh, one thing, one more thing I will say about Bustos's art is it, it does suit the story more so than some sort of a gray gland type style would or, or the style uh, that we see on the covers. You know, a lot of these covers of women, Fire and Ice, they look very sexy, very beautiful. Um, I don't know that the story would play as well if it was that sort of style. Um, the, the, the little bit more cartoony style sort of suits the, I don't want to say zaniness, but it, it, it suits the story, how things are a little bit up in the air more so than almost a traditional comic book style with kind of the good girl art would, uh, in my mind, the colors are fantastic as well. So, uh, what'd you think of this issue, rock? I, um, honestly, I just, my review would be just absolutely. uh, I would feel it. It's, I want to play script doctor from beginning to end. And that's just wrong of me because I got to review the, uh, I got to review the comic as written. Uh, look, this was a uh, this was just boring, uh, just really boring to me. Uh, it just wasn't exciting. What this felt like? This felt like Gilmore Girls. This felt like Gilmore Girls. That, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Except, except it had one thing that Gilmore Girls Gilmore Girls had one thing that this comic doesn't, and that's men. Um, and <laughs> I, I mean, there's I, I counted the men in this issue. There was one one man. There was a villain on a on a piece of paper where when when uh, Fire is going through a list of uh, a list of villains that uh, to possibly you know fight in order to for popularity. And then there was uh, uh, I think that showed the back of a, a back of a guy in a di- back of a head of a male head in the diner. But anyways, now I I know I've sort of harped on that before, but the reason why. Um, there was a missed opportunity here is I think that the art, it's interesting that you mentioned the art because I think that the art should have been more sexualized. I view fire and ice as very sexual characters. And I think wouldn't have it been more funny. And by the way, there is humor in this comic. There is humor and it's good humor. So I want to give some credit. I, I did laugh out loud, especially at the end there when the character that we'll mention, I'll mention in a bit shows up. So this, this does have humor and the dialogue I think is good, but I will say that, they're in Smallville, Kansas, and 
don't tell me there aren't men in diners and imagine a small, uh, I don't care what anybody says, you got a red, you got a, you got a white male from Kansas staring at fire and ice. You're going to get some comments there. I thought the opportunity for humor in the spirit of the Justice League International, I think it was just ripe. Can you imagine a bunch of rednecks walking into a diner and there's, and there's Martha Kent sitting with fire and ice. I mean, I just think there's missed opportunities there, but all there was, we, 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 we met a lot of characters, Tamarin, uh, an African-American uh, person who they hired to be a, uh, another beautician because they end up owning, they end up, you know, working at this beauty shop or this, 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 uh, I don't, this uh, beauty emporium called the Big T's. I love the name, the Big T's. That's perfect for uh, Fire and Ice. I also think, when I think of Fire and Ice, uh, what, what surprised me that the approach that, um, Sorry, that writer Joanne Starr took, which really surprised me, was that I, I would have thought Fire and Star or Fire and Ice would be be more famous. Uh, she basically took she stole the script right out of Booster and Gold, Booster uh, Booster and Gold Booster Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. I mean, Fire wants to do what Booster Gold does. I mean, basically fight crime. I mean, it was basically a, almost an identical plot. Except with Booster Gold and Blue Beetle by Dan Jurgens, there was just more going on. There was more action. And uh, I, I just thought that I would have liked to have seen more opportunity here uh, just for it, it just it just it just lacked it lacked to, to me. It, uh, kudos to the art. They can render a small town. Uh, the visuals for the small town were there. But just uh, just the there should have been, I think, uh, I think more of a male, a male presence there. I thought it would have been, uh, you know, even male uh, men. I mean, how funny would it be if a bunch of men were outside the, the big T? Suddenly all these men want haircuts. Why? Well, fire and ice is there. I think of fire like the Kim Kardashian of the DC universe. She should be all over social media. But fire and ice in this storyline, they're unknown. They, I mean, nobody in, nobody in town even cares that they're there. I, I can't believe that. This is fire and ice. This is Smallville. I mean, how often do they get like, superheroes like that i mean yes I, I know they get superman but but still this is a you, you know i i just think she made them ordinary joanne star the writer made them very very ordinary and i would rather have had them have a little bit more gravitas as superheroes uh and and again that's unfair of me that's playing script doctor they're, they're, the dialogue was good and it's really funny at the end when ambush bug shows up fire has this master plan of she wants to beat up ambush bug and film it on social media and and post it and that's funny and uh, ambush bug has a great line it's a great great retort between them at the end it's quite uh, it's funny but uh i can't help but feel a little bit disappointed i i am a I'm all for the sexuality. I do feel a little bit disappointed in the art only because I wanted these characters sexualized. I did. I, I wanted them more sexualized. And and I can't help but point out the, juxt when, the juxtaposition between the covers and the interior. And you mentioned it already, Jace. You got highly sexualized covers of these two, which are, you know, these are powerful, sexualized women of the DC universe. And then within the comic book itself, you've got almost this animated kind of, animated feel to the to the art and it's just i it's jarring and i think the covers frankly are misleading because of that and um in any event i'm uh, i'm not i'm not super excited as to where this is going because uh well we got am ambush bug to look forward to and what what's the big plot uh fire and ice want to find purpose in their life that's not what i want in a superhero comic but you know I don't know. It's not not for me, but 
you know, hopefully it'll find an audience. Yeah. It's interesting you use that. So I, I didn't, I mean, Superman's in it. King Shark's in it. They're male. So I didn't really. Yeah. Well, El, no. El, El, El but, Ron, although yeah. he's, you know, he's asexual because he's a robot, but he, he, yeah. he seems to be kind of a male voice as well. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you've, you've made that statement before. I, I don't know. It never bothers me. I feel like, man, with the comics, when I was a kid, it was all guys. And if you had females in there, they were just a damsel in distress. So it's kind of nice to have some books where it, there is, doesn't even have to be a single male character at well, all. There, there's you no do many mention, birds of prey. So I don't, I don't mind that, but there, there's a reason yeah. for that. But yeah. this isn't a town. Uh, You're in a small Kansas town and there's, there's no men. There's no, no men in pickup trucks. There's no, it's all women. Well, we don't get, we, you know, you mentioned the, the, um, <laughs> You mentioned the supporting cast. We only get we get Ma Kent. We get a we get a, wait, a waitress Ra- uh, Raquel. I think her name is Rocky. Yeah, she says her name is. Yeah, uh, we get Tamarin, but really we don't get that many other towns people at all. So you know, male or female. So yeah, yeah, I imagine that that'll that'll expand at some point. But it is interesting, right? Like, yeah, you want to DC wants to sell the com. They want the comic to sell. So yeah, you're gonna and you know. And, Thank God that there are more women reading comics than ever because we need to grow the readership. But still, the vast majority of people that read comics are men. So, yeah, you're going to put some nice looking women on the cover because um, they want it to sell. But, yeah, then you open it up and it's it's not it's not that. So it is it is interesting. It is. I don't want to say hypocritical because you, you can understand why they do it. But, yeah, I think misleading was the word you used. Yeah, that it probably is a bit misleading. Um I mean, in a way, I'm okay with it. Yes, I like looking at Fire and Ice when they're drawn, you know, very beautifully and they're strong characters and what have you. But at the same time, it's nice to read a story where the point of the story isn't the fact that they're hot. The point of the story is going to be that they are, you know, it's going to be their relationship and what they can learn from being in Smallville. You made the comparison to Gilmore Girls. That's that's an interesting one and a good one in a way. Um, and you, you said it as sort of... Uh, I don't, not derogatory, but you know, that's not, that's not what you typically would expect. And I don't expect to pick up a superhero comic and read an episode of Gilmore girls. I'm not Gilmore girls. That's not my thing, right? Like it's my wife's favorite show of all time. I watched the first season with her and I was like, okay, you know, quality show, what have you. And then I started watching the second season. I was like, this is the same thing all over again. This neurotic woman and her daughter and everybody's just talking a mile a minute. It's not for me. I'm, I'm out. Right. And that's fine. It can yeah. exist on its own. It's not a bad show, whatever. It's just not what, what I'm into, but very, very popular. So when you say, Hey, you know, Gilmore girls in a comic, Gilmore girls was popular. Why can't this comic be popular? Well, again, you're, you got to look at who the target audience is and you know, are, are people that love Gilmore girls, i.e. my wife, are they looking to go and pick up a comic about fire and ice and have it read like Gilmore Girls. First of all, my wife's never going to go pick up Fire and Ice. So, yeah, it is, it's interesting. We'll have to see how it plays out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, Star is a huge fan of Fire and Ice, a huge fan of that Justice League uh, run from Giffen, Demetrius, uh, and McGuire. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. See how it goes. Uh, all right, up next we have Blue Beetle number one. It's from the same creative team that brought us the recent six-issue uh, series where we were introduced to a couple of other uh, Beatles, Green Beetle and Yellow Beetle. So Josh Trujillo is the writer. Adrian Gutierrez is the artist. Will Quintana does colors. Lucas Gatoni on letters. Uh, if you guys checked out the Blue Beetle movie, I hope you all did.
it was a lot of fun. Um, a little bit more of a confident, a little bit more of a capable uh, Jaime Reyes here is is what comes across. Uh, he's trying to teach these other two Beatles how to be heroes, basically. Uh, and then we also have members of the uh, of the Horizon. We saw that at the end of the last issue. They're here, there in Palmera City. A um, little bit uh, kind of hitting us over the head with the idea of um, illegal aliens and minorities and prejudice and that sort of thing. I think it's okay as long as we don't get too, too much of it. Because, um, again, I just don't think it's something that um, that people are really going to enjoy reading about. But it's something – it's an important conversation to have. Um, so along with Blue Beetle and Dynasties and uh, Natita, we do have members of the Horizon that uh, – these aliens that – probably have some powers of their own. Plus we've got Ted Cord. So uh, there's no lack of, um, of super powered beings here or, um, uh, or, or action, if you will, because there is someone else who shows up and he, he almost looks like a red beetle. Um, but I don't know if it's someone that we've seen before. Uh, he shows up at the end. His costume is, uh, takes out Ted Cord, um, like maybe in, I mean, not a permanent fashion because Ted Cord's already been killed. I don't think they're going to kill him again, but he stabs him through the chest at the end. It's brutal, uh, but we don't know who he is. Uh, so we'll see. There's a lot going on here between Jaime Reyes, Blue Beetle, but, you know, again, trying to uh, train Natita and train Dynasties and um, Blue Beetle's family and then the Horizon analog for, you know, illegal aliens, immigrants, what have you, people seeking asylum. Um, and then on top of all that, you have the real dynamic art of Adrian Gutierrez, which uh, I enjoy Gutierrez's art. However, I do not recall in the first series that he was using that ink splatter technique that I'm not a fan of. And I've talked about many times uh, on the podcast of not being a fan of, um, particularly in uh, Batgirls most recently uh, with Jorge Corona's art where he splattered it. And sure enough, a few pages in, we've got um, we've got that ink splatter technique from Adrian Gutierrez. Uh, I'm just not. I mean, and he uses it heavily here, even on pages uh, where he'll he doesn't use you know black ink splatter. Maybe it's a, a page with um, uh, with uh, Natita. He uses and that's the green beetle, and so we've got green ink splatter. And then later on, when, when this villain shows up, that confronts Ted Cord, he's red, so we've got red ink splatter. Uh, it, I don't know. I, I, I don't know when this trend started, but uh, I know Jim Lee uses it. Maybe they're like, well, if it's good enough for Jim Lee, it's good enough for me. I just don't care for it. It just makes the art look messy, um, and I'm just, I'm just not a fan of it, uh, which is, which is too bad because I, I think the art, other than that, is really strong. I don't think that the art needs that. I, I don't know if, if Adrian Gutierrez just want, is trying to add texture. I mean, there are times where all we get is sort of a, a color palette background with ink splatter on it. So maybe it's saving him time. Uh, again, I'm not really sure. I just know that I'm, I'm not a fan of it. Um, but that being said, I did enjoy this issue. It did feel like um, – it ties in a lot with the tone of the recent film. So I hope it works as a jumping on point for people that saw the movie, liked it and are looking uh, for a blue beetle comic. Uh, what were your thoughts on it, Rocky? Uh, I really enjoyed it. And it's funny. I thought that the, I don't mind. Uh, it's funny when, uh, 
the other artist who that ink effect was on Batgirl. Hers, what yeah, was his Jorge name? Corona. Jorge Corona. Yeah, I didn't like when he used it here. For some reason, I actually quite, I actually quite enjoy it here. I, I think well, it works. Corona. I, I, when I Corona it did it, when Corona did it, it was always just black. Yeah. At least Adrian Gutierrez is using. Sometimes it's yellow. Sometimes it's red. Sometimes it's green. Yeah. So maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe that's why I like it more here because it 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 does have especially in the scenes. Uh, like I, the funny thing is, I'm not a Power Rangers fan, and I don't care if I'm that I'm not a Power Rangers fan. But I'm really I'm really starting to like the idea of different color blue beetles here. Blue beetle, green beetle. Okay, I know it's Natita and uh, Dynasties. They look really cool. And then of course there's a red blue beetle, or pardon me, a red beetle. We're not sure what his or her name is that ends up uh, attacking brutally. Ted Cord at the end, uh, and I'm really interested, and I, I'm I'm invested in this story already. I thought this was a fantastic opening issue. I love the art. I'm invested already. We we already we, you don't you didn't need to read uh, Blue Beetle Graduation Day. You didn't need to read the previous series to to get up to speed as to what's going on here. You could you could go into this this series. You can go into this issue pretty much blind, brand new, and you'll figure out what's going on. I thought that the there was a family aspect between already. There's a rapport between all of the uh, between dynasties, Natita and uh, and uh, Jamie uh, Reyes, and 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 even Ted Cord when he his dialogue w- w- that he when he's battling against this red beetle at the end. I think it works really well. And wow, Ted Cord, man, as he himself says, you know, he has all the luck doomsday. And then of course, Maxwell Lord, he's always getting killed. And then of course he seems seemingly gets killed at the end, but he probably, hopefully he's, he's Ted Cord still alive. But I really thought this was a great issue. And uh, I thought it, it's definitely, this is probably one of my, my recommends for people. If you, if you want a, a, a good issue, just to get to get going i think this blue beetle number one i think you know this, this is pretty good so especially if you're a fan of the movie um to give this give this a look-see yeah i agree um again it, it really captures the tone of the movie really really well so uh all right up next we have city boy this is issue number four from writer greg pak minku Zhang is the artist sebastian cheng on colors wes abbott on letters uh, you kick us off on this one, Rocky. What'd you think? Uh, yeah, sorry. I just got to. All right. Um, well, this fourth issue of City Boy finds uh, Cameron, City Boy, making his way to Bloodhaven. Last last issue, he was in Metropolis. And we discovered that, that City Boy has the ability to, to channel into and give life to uh, an avatar of any particular city. Uh, so, uh, so the, the essence or, or the memory of the city, the, the memories of a city, uh, Cameron, a city boy can actually peer into the past and in all, all the living souls of a city, he can peer into the, the past of all the people who have lived in the city in the past, and he can see their stories. And what, what's, uh, what writer Greg Pack does effectively here is at the beginning of this issue, he, now that he's in Bloodhaven, I, I love the callback to the fact that Bloodhaven was destroyed. It was decimated in a nuclear explosion back in uh, in in leading up in uh, final leading up to the events of uh, Final Crisis. It was uh, Deathstroke dropped chemo 
uh, on Bloodhaven and destroyed Bloodhaven, much to the chagrin of Nightwing, who wasn't much of a protector back then. And uh, ultimately, revenge was obtained by Green Arrow, taken, uh, you know, uh, in that in identity crisis, but that's, that's a callback. But I like the fact that Cameron here is, he can see his mother. He's really curious to see what his mother was, what his mother was up to because he, he, he was abandoned. His mother abandoned him and, and he looks back and he sees that his mother was happy at one point and he sees himself as a younger person with the mother and he, he almost sees it as a ghost, as a playback. It's really, really interesting. I'm still trying to get a handle in terms of what City Boy's powers are, but City Boy is afraid to peer farther into the, farther into the future in order to see why his mother abandoned him because he, he just can't, he, he's afraid to almost look into that. And, and meanwhile, the city of Bloodhaven begins to speak to him and it tells it what it needs or what it wants. And uh, of course, he runs into Nightwing and Nightwing is there investigating, uh, investigating Intergang because Nightwing spoke to, I, I believe, uh, it's a Superman in Metropolis. And he's looking for this uh, Nugent character, this genie Nugent character who works for, uh, who apparently works for Intergang. And, and Nightwing wants, basically wants City Boy's help in the invest in the investigations. And um, uh, unfortunately, what ends up, uh, uh, sorry, what, what ends up happening? And I'm just, I gotta, uh, gotta pull up my. Uh, oh, here we go here. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So b basically, what uh, what he ends up doing is uh, City Boy ends up uh, finding finding trinkets that will help Nightwing in his investigation. But City Boy himself doesn't want he wants to he wants to join Nightwing. He doesn't want Nightwing to just do all the investigating himself. And he's um, he's afraid that Nightwing might hurt her this uh, Nugen and he's, he's very protective. And meanwhile, he gets, uh, he, they end up running into this Dr. Um, McCarrison who is involved with intergang and the city then starts to, uh, he starts to lose control of the city. And it's quite clear that city boys powers are a little bit out of control. And dark side still wants to control city boy. Dark side still wants to control Cameron because Darkseid, at least in City Boy's mind, wants to basically take control of the take control of the world. Uh and um uh unfortunately for 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 City Boy, he still has a lot of issues that he has to work through. I I didn't mind this issue. I thought it uh I thought the art I wasn't a big fan uh for some reason I thought the I wasn't a big fan of the cover art. Minkyu Jung's art wasn't a, you know, I thought it was a little bit, I didn't find it be very detailed it, in the issue, but um, it, it was okay. But it, it I, I want, I want a little bit more here for, for a storyline that is supposed to involve apocalypse and dark side. I was, I was quite just a, you know, there should be more excitement in this issue. Uh, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the fact that we are linking City Boy with Inner Gang and through Inner Gang, Darkseid, you know, I mentioned it last time, it really helps to integrate him into the DC universe proper really well. So I appreciated that. Uh, having Nightwing show up here, City Boy, I thought that was a, a really good um, a really good mentor for City Boy, even though he sort of pushes back against it. Um, 
because yeah, his powers are out of control. He is a little, little bit overwhelmed. You can understand, you can feel his conflict. You know, he's abandoned by his mother, but it doesn't make sense to him that like, why would you abandon me to go have another family? Why are you leaving the family that you had to go be with another family? So, um, but then at the same time, there's this sense of city boy sort of torturing himself. Like if your mom decided to go have another life and leave you behind, don't, don't torture yourself by, by watching it. You know, you're just bringing yourself more pain. So yeah, there's some, um, there's some conflict there and it sort of mirrors the conflict that city boy has in the way he's trying to use his powers. You know, he wants to use his powers to help. And when Nightwing asks for his help in finding Jeannie uh, Nguyen, you know, he, he is willing to help. But then at the same time, he sort of flies off the handle when he, when he thinks that Nightwing is going to um, incarcerate Jeannie Nguyen, right? When Nightwing really just wants to help her, you know, wants to, to give her a chance to get away, put her in a safe house, get her out of um, the clutches of inner gang and thus apocalypse. But city boy, he doesn't have the experience. He's, he doesn't really know Nightwing. He doesn't, tr he doesn't trust, you know, and why would he basically he grew up on the streets? He was abandoned by the one person that was supposed to, you know, care about him. So he has trust issues. You would expect that. Uh, but at the same time, there's a part of you that reads a story going dude, it's Nightwing. You got to trust Nightwing. Like why not, if you're worried about what he might do to Gene Nguyen, why didn't you ask? Well, why do you, what are you going to do when you, once you find her? Then at the same time, you could take his side and go, well, Nightwing, why didn't you tell him? Why don't you tell city boy? Hey, I want to help her. I want to put her in a safe house. I want to get her away from inner gang, that sort of thing. So a little bit of that threes company, uh, and which I might be dating myself talking about that sitcom, but you know, it's always, you can describe every episode of threes company by saying there's a misunderstanding. Yeah, right? exactly. So there's a, yeah, there's a lack of communication. There's a lack of understanding between these characters for no other reason other than they just don't communicate. It would have taken one sentence from either of them to have avoided the conflict that happened in the middle. But then you have an issue without any action. Maybe you don't want that either. So uh, as far as the art goes, I feel like it's pretty consistent with what the art has been um, throughout. Um, it's been it's been solid, but I, I think it more you know, if the art comes across as a little boring, I think it has more to do with the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of action in this issue. It's, it's a little bit more of a setup issue than we've had uh, previously. So I thought Jung's art was fine. Um, just not a whole heck of a lot to work with, but I also find it interesting and enjoyed at the end when city boy takes himself out of the city, right? Like, Hey, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I can't control my powers. The best thing to do, maybe take myself out of the city so I can go and, you know, lay down in, the green uh, and kind of get away and not let my powers spin out of control. And then of course, if you're talking about DC and you're talking about the green, of course, we're talking about swamp thing, which is teased as uh, as showing up next. So we'll see how that all plays out, but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying city boy. I think he's uh, an interesting character. He's got a lot of problems, a lot of hangups. Um, I guess you could say it's not surprising based on his, life up to this point based on his background, based on his age, you know, 16, 17 year old kid. Uh, of course he's going to have growing pains and trust issues based on his mother abandoning him and what have you, but definitely a lot of potential. And uh, he comes across as a very realistic character in the hands of Greg Pak and this creative team. So, uh, so good job. Uh, all right. You mentioned this one earlier. Uh, so it's birds of prey. Number one, Written by Kelly Thompson, art by Leonardo Romero, colors by Jordi Belair, 
Letters by Clayton Cowles. Give us your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I was I was pleased with this issue. Uh, I was really, uh, you know, you and I reviewed Kelly Thompson's uh, The Call, number one. We did a deep dive into that, and we were both very impressed with that. And I'm happy with the birds of prey here. I Initially, when I read this issue, and basically this issue involves Black Canary. This is a, a recruitment issue. You, you, you don't need to know anything going into this. And this is just Black Canary recruiting a bunch of super powered, you know, like super, you know, super powered women to help her on a mission. And you don't know what that mission is until the very end. And so the, the first, the, the whole issue is just her trying to decide who to have on her team. And of course she chooses all the members of her team. They're on the cover. Uh, and what I, 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 I love this team. First, I want to say, I love the team. Big Barda, Cassandra Kane, Black Canary, Zealot, and Harley Quinn. I got to tell you, the biggest wild card there was Harley Quinn. When I first read this, I thought to myself, why is Harley Quinn part of this team? And then I, I, now the, the easy answer is because DC wants it that way because Harley Quinn had a movie called Harley Quinn in, the, you know, in Birds of Prey. But, but in terms of Harley Quinn is not really, you don't think of, in, as a comic book reader, I don't think of Harley Quinn when I think of Birds of Prey at all. So there had to be some justification for it. And I like the way Kelly Thompson sort of justified it uh, through Cassandra Kane. I thought it was interesting that Kelly Thompson, in because it, it reaches a point where Black Canary throughout the issue, she recruits Big Barda. Big Barda says yes. Cassandra Kane right away says yes. Zealot uh, owes her a favor. So Zealot is pretty much obligated to Black Canary for reasons which we don't know yet, but uh, Zealot owes Black Canary one. And so why, why Black Can why Harley Quinn? Well, uh, Cassandra Kane recommended said Harley Quinn. And I found it very interesting as to how and why Cassandra Kane seems to have some empathy for Harley Quinn in so far. Maybe it's because they were both previous killers and uh, maybe, you know, Harley Quinn's trying, maybe trying to be a hero now in Gotham, but also because Harley Quinn in their last fight really impressed Cassandra Kane, almost defeated her in battle. Uh, I, I have no idea when Harley Quinn learned the leopard blow and learned the, the eagle stance and, and somehow learned all these fancy karate moves. But in my head canon, I can imagine maybe Harley Quinn learned those things with the Suicide Squad, maybe learned those things somewhere in the multiverse. Because as you and I, we've talked about Harley Quinn in the past, Jace, you and I, and, and Harley Quinn has been so many different things to so many different writers. Who's to say Harley Quinn isn't a, a, an A-list fighter? I mean, she's, I mean, good Lord, right? But in any event, I really like it. I, I love what the mission is at the end. I love the the I love the character at the end with with the future version of of Max uh, of of Maps from uh, Gotham Academy. I thought that's awesome. And and what the mission is to rescue Sin, who is now sixteen years old, and to rescue her. Uh, I'll let you talk about where what the mission is. But uh, I I thought the art was great. I I really enjoyed the art. I and um the uh, Romero. On the art, really good. Jordi Belair in the colors. I thought it really worked well. And for those watching on YouTube, I'll go through some of the preview pages as uh, Jace gives his uh, opinion. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. You mentioned this as a recruitment issue and not needing to know anything going into it. And that's that's 100% true. Kelly Thompson's one of my favorite creators. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, you know, this is this is good. This is interesting. Um it's really focusing on sort of the dynamic between these characters as they're being put together. Um, Big Barda maybe 
one of the more inconsistently written characters in the DC universe. Sometimes she talks just like a regular, you know, regular old American, if you will. Here she has a language that is a little more purple, a little more flowery, if you will. Um, and I, I, I sort of like it. I, I like this, the way that the vocabulary she uses and, and kind of her, her cadence of speaking and what have you that Kelly Thompson gives her, it feels a little more like realistic, like what her language would be having grown up on a, a you know, apocalypse and what have you in the environment that she did. So uh, I do like that. Plus I, I like that she's drawn so much larger than Zealot and Cassandra Kane. I mean, she's almost twice as tall as Cassandra Kane, which yeah, she should be. She's big Barda. So yeah, I'm really in, enjoying it. Really enjoying the recruitment issue. I, I um, I echo your, uh, I mean, I wasn't surprised to see Harley Quinn because she's so popular. You're going to th throw her on there. Um, but interesting that when the time comes to Black Canary says, yeah, we need somebody else. Who should we get? Oh, Harley Quinn, Cassandra Cain makes the case for her. And it makes a lot of sense what she says, how she's not, she's not predictable. So I, you know, I really appreciated that. But that being said, this isn't anything the issue starts out as not anything groundbreaking. Did I enjoy it? Yes, I enjoyed it because it's Kelly Thompson and she's great at characterization and the interaction between the characters is fantastic. And her take on Harley is a little bit different than from what we've seen before. And so I really appreciate that, that as well. Um, so that all really, really works. And then because it's Kelly Thompson, once we get to the very end and we have maps, Mizuguchi show up, in this future form. And I had to go and look, I'm like, I haven't read all of Gotham. Cat. I don't think I've read any Gotham Academy actually, but I've, you know, I've read maps and other things, Batman, uh, urban legends and some other one shots and what have you. And I was like, wait, maps has a, a future version of herself that, that maybe has superpowers, something to do with time travel, whatever Meridian. What yeah. has this person shown up before? Has this version of map shown up before? The short answer is no. So I guess speculator alert, right? As Rocky likes to say, this is the first appearance of Maps Mizuguchi's uh, future version of herself, Mer Meridian. I'm curious to hear more uh, about what power she might have and who knows what origin she might have and if we'll find that out. So so that was interesting. Kelly throwing us a little bit of curveball. And then, you know, all along it's teased that they're putting this, uh, this group together because they've got to go and and rescue Sin, right? And you figure, well, Sin, she must have been kidnapped by some supervillain or another, and Birds of Prey, this team's going to get together, and they're going to go and, and rescue her from, God, who could it be? Count Vertigo, or I don't even know that Black Canary really has any, uh, any you know, rogues, villains of, of her own, but, you know, who could it be? Uh, Cobra, you know, some kind of villain organization like that. Uh, I don't know that it would be Brother Blood, but you know you're expected it to be some, some some villainous group. No, what we find out is okay. You know, Maps uh, Maguchi or Meridian says, yeah, you've got to go rescue Sin from the island of Themyscira, stop the Amazons from bringing about the end of the world. And my head just <laughs> just exploded, right? Like, wait, what? The Amazons are the antagonists here. The Amazons are the ones that kidnap Sin. What what's going to be their reason? What like what do they have going on? Like this was completely unexpected, completely unexpected, and yet at the same time, what I've come to expect from Kelly Thompson, right? Like absolutely amazing uh, characterization, amazing storytelling, really, 
yeah, I was I was blown away by this. Again, it was enjoyable, really good recruitment issue, really quality, good art. Uh, but then when I get thrown that curveball at the end from Kelly Thompson, uh, yeah, I was I was really blown away. Uh, and the art from Leonardo Romero, it, it's uh, it's sort of what I would call no frills art. Like it definitely gets the job done, um, but it's not real flamboyant art. So, you know, I appreciated that, and uh, it it sort of suited the 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 character focus of the story really, really well. So you don't want the art to to be really flashy when you're focused on characterization and interacting between characters in my mind, because the art can distract. Um, but it, it's just the kind of understated art that has really good storytelling and transitions from panel to panel and shows, you know, a lot of emotion and body language so that again, it allows the characterization and the interaction between these uh, females to, uh, to really shine. And, you know, again, you, you, you mentioned it when we talked about um, fire and ice in Smallville, how there weren't male characters and you miss them. There's no, I don't think there's a single male character in this one, um, but you didn't, you didn't miss it. There didn't need to be a male character here. So I, I don't know. I find that interesting. What were well, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, uh, well in, in Smallville, they, they were in a, they were in a small town and there was, there was no men in the town and, and, and there was no men walking around even in the background. And that's, that's what I, that's what I found interesting. This one is just folks. This, this is birds of prey and, and they're just focusing this going around and recruiting and specifically approaching the women in the middle of the, at, at night in the various settings that made, that makes sense to me. Plus, uh, kudos to Kelly Thompson because the question has to be asked: Why would why would Black Canary be dumb enough to only recruit women? Well, now we have an explanation. When you're invading, when you're breaking into uh, onto uh, Themyscira, you, you, it can only be women because otherwise, uh, otherwise uh, the Amazons will immediately know the moment the moment anyone a man sets foot on Paradise Island, boom, they they know because of the because of the magical nature of uh, Themyscira. So kudos to her; it makes sense. So the the team formation, the formative origin of this team, being grounded in the fact that this it started with a with a mission to to invade or to rescue. Uh, breakout sin from Themyscira and so obviously you can only have women that makes sense and it's just it, it works out so well for an opening issue and for a recruitment issue and I, I, I just think that overall you know now you know the, the real test is going to be where do we go from here and I you know I'm looking forward to it I know that Kelly the, the dialogue is I, I love the dialogue she has a handle on all these characters I really like her use of uh, how she writes Cassandra Kane and how she writes Dinah Lance I actually really like that I'm a huge Cassandra Kane fan and I thought it worked really well here and I'm really curious uh, I thought she also nailed Harley Quinn at the end there when Harley what Harley Quinn's comments when she when when they find out what their mission is I thought was just priceless so it's good I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to this and, you know, I don't, you know, God forbid we might have somebody that is as good as Gail Simone was on this title. That would be wonderful. Yeah. When was the last, is that the last time you really enjoyed Birds of Prey was Gail Simone's run? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah, it was. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Justice Society of America, issue number six. This is from writer Greg, uh, sorry, Greg, from writer Jeff Johns. Uh, Marco Santucci handles the art, Yvonne Placencia on colors, Rob Lee on letters. 
some fantastic covers again. Uh, Mikhail Yanin's cover. Um, it, he's on the main cover, and his stuff's just always so classic in my mind. Uh, but there's also a fantastic uh, 1 in 25 Huntress cover from Edwin Galman. There's a Hispanic Heritage cover with uh, the Yolanda version of Wildcat um, by Pablo Villalobos. And then Yannick Paquette does the B cover with uh, with Huntress on it. So um, we start off on the very first page with Jeff Johns reminding us how closely this title ties into his uh, Stargirl's uh, Stargirl and the Lost Children uh, from Jeff Johns and, and Todd Nock, which was a very fantastic series. Uh, and we're reminded that, yeah, these, these sidekicks that, you know, disappeared from history um, were brought back and now they're trying to plan, find their place in the world. <laughs> Meanwhile, the other members of the Justice Society are sitting around the table uh, discussing their recent uh, battle with Perdegaton, which again, really, really great story. Um, and then we start to explore some of the fallout that we're going to see with the sidekicks showing back up, these forgotten sidekicks, um, Judy Garrick, uh, Jay Garrick's daughter, who, you know, he'd forgotten that, that she even existed. So, I mean, that, that's just, that's just great. Right. Joan and uh, Jay Garrick and Judy, all the J's. And we know there's going to be a series by Jeremy Adams, um, favorite writer from, of, of Rocky and mine, both that's going to explore the boom as uh, her name is, which is a really great name. You know, we've got so many different flash characters. You can start to run out of names at, at one point. So that's all going to be explored. Plus uh, Helena Wayne, right? Like this, um, this version of Huntress who was sort of the impetus for this whole uh, new justice society series who traveled back in time to warn the justice society of what Prodegaton was doing and everybody warned her, you cannot go and tell your father uh, about his impending death. You can't go and, and try to save Batman because you'll alter the timeline. Well, she did it anyway. She went and told her father anyway, which you could completely understand. Uh, I think many of us would have done the same. Um, but she did alter the timeline. She altered the timeline to the point where she no longer exists. The timeline that she was a part of no longer exists. She can't go home again, as it were. And so what does that mean for her? Um, and how this is all going to play out. There's a, a great interaction between Dr. Fate and um, uh, what's her name? The, the witch girl, Salem, the witch girl uh, yeah. uh, that gives us a rundown of the different Dr. Fates that we've had over time. Uh, so again, sort of a, a catch up issue, if you will, uh, getting all the, all the characters in place. Uh, we find out what Helena Wayne is going to do now that she uh, is sort of – she's a woman out of time. Her timeline no longer exists. Um, she's not just going to sit idly by. And so we learn at the end what she's going to be up to. Uh, and she goes and has a conversation with Power Girl, who – I don't know if you noticed this, Rocky. Did you notice that she called Power Girl Karen? <laughs> not, yeah. pa not Paige. Yeah, and, and um, Paige never – and Karen never corrected her, or Paige never corrected her. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe Jeff Johns didn't get the memo. Maybe this was written, you know, before they changed her name. Um, I don't know that her name needs to be changed, but I have a feeling that was an editorial decision. But anyway, uh, yeah. great art, great ideas here to be, um, to be explored. The only problem I have with Justice Society, and I know you know what I'm going to say, it just needs to come out on time. These delays are just robbing of it robbing it of its momentum and uh, I just don't 
I don't think it's sustainable. It's not going to go. It's not going to have a long run if it keeps yeah. being constantly late. So anyway, well, what were your thoughts on it? Well, just to build on your comments about the lateness, I mean, P- Power Girl got a new name. Paige, what was that? That was three or four months. Was that three months ago? Two months ago? Yeah, two or, yeah, been, two or three months it's ago. It's been yeah. a while. So that's how June. late. Yeah, that's how late this was because usually something. I mean, look, we I know we've we can be critical of DC's editorial at the best of times, but that is kind of a kind of a big mistake. That's a pretty big miss screwing up somebody's name. But uh, having said that, uh, as a as someone who didn't agree with the name change to begin with. I always think of Power Girl as Karen, not Paige, but that's a minor matter. I like the fact that the Huntress is is teaming, you know, uh, it, this is the classic Huntress Power Girl. I love that Huntress and Power Girl are together in this issue, that they, they're, and they're, they're forming a new Justice Society, or rather, not a new Justice Society, they're, they're adding to the membership. And in fact, even right on the cover, the cover is uh, one of the rare covers that's actually indicative of the content of a comic book imagine that i mean they're they're choosing a new legacy not only a new legacy of heroes for the justice society uh but huntress wants to huntress has already changed time by telling telling her dad about his future and she also makes an illusion she she warns bruce wayne she warns her dad that by the way when you go back to gotham you and your mom are about to, you and mom are about to have one hell of a fight <laughs> and of course that's an illusion to gotham uh, gotham war which i thought was kind of funny uh but huntress wants to start uh add to the jsa by adding solomon grande the harlequin's son and the gentleman ghosts and ruby who are actually villains uh who will ultimately be redeemed in the future but and but um, so th- there's a mixture of Huntress's is is what is she's sort of an aberration. She's an, she's a multiversal outlier like Power Girl. She's got the memories of a future that is not going to happen, but parts of it probably will. So she's an interesting character now. And I, I really hope that we see more of Huntress in the pages. If we do get a Power Girl series or any kind of future Power Girl stories with Leia Williams, I really hope that Huntress plays a part because I think Power Girl and Huntress, whether it's Paige or Karen, <laughs> I think they have a lot in common. And I'd, I'd really like to see that bond formalized, you know, that that friendship really grow. And um, yeah, and and of course there's Yolanda, Salem the Witch Girl, uh, Judy Garrick, the Boom, you mentioned all of them. I thought not a heck of a lot happened in this issue. And I think that's one, I think that's, that explains, that minimizes the consequence of the delay because so little happens. This is really just setting up a new justice society. And it, it kind of, it can almost exist in its own world because none of these characters, um, well, I shouldn't say that, but it seems to be in almost its own kind of world. Um, and so it hasn't really, I think, impacted anything except for the except for the name of power girl there i i think it's relatively minor the consequence of of these delays but it is very very frustrating i agree with you yeah i mean i love jeff johns on on dc titles but yeah his stuff always seems to be late i want to point the finger at john specifically a lot of times he has detailed artists but no matter what artist it's it's they're late it's just tough so anyway uh up next we have peacemaker tries hard book number five written by kyle starks art is by steve Pugh. colors by jordy belair letters by becca carey this was a heck of a lot of fun what'd you think of it rock uh this continues to be uh just thoroughly entertaining i'm i i continue to be 
this is just laugh out loud fun. This is like this. This could be like season two of Peacemaker, or is it season three now? Whatever. Uh, Kyle Starks has done a good job. Steve Pugh on the art is just it's hilarious. Uh, the, the art is is just per- he he draws a perfect Peacemaker. Like <laughs> I mean, it's right. It's like literally watching the show. And in this issue, uh, I mean. Who would have thought of a bunch of uh, infant babies with with an eye patch, uh, you know, looking like miniature little Slade Wilsons? Uh, it, it, it's just it's hilarious what happens. We we have the an older Red B and Peacemaker going to take down on to to basically try to take on uh, Deathstroke, and ultimately they end up con- <laughs> Red B ends up unfortunately losing his you know almost losing his life. And uh, his his soul bee, like red bee, has a one bumblebee that flies around. The, and the bumblebees never had to sting anybody before. And but but it ends up having to give his life to save red bee. And it's like it's it's a bunch of artificially heightened emotion, but yet somehow it works. And it's hilarious. It's funny. It's entertaining. I I personally I'm I'm getting the movie covers. I'm getting like the movie variants of all these covers. And I, I'm I'm actually I'm. <laughs> I've been enjoying this. Not only am I enjoying the covers, but I'm enjoying the story as well. And this, this to me doesn't need to be part of the DC universe. I don't know if it is or not. It doesn't matter to me. This story is entertaining in and of itself. This is one of the ones that I buy. I buy the physical copies of this. Uh, and because it's just, it's that entertaining. I don't mind paying the extra cost because it is more of an expensive, uh, uh, you know, it is black label. So I, I, I can't remember the price. I think it is like five ninety nine or six ninety nine. but I don't care. It's worth it. The art's fantastic. And yeah, I, this is definitely one of uh, I. If, yeah, I, this is a must buy. I think if you're if you this is what comic books should be about just playing, just playing fun entertainment. Put a smile on your face, and especially if you're a fan of the show. So, what do you think? Yeah, I'm a big fan of it as well. Um, like you said, laugh out loud, funny. That being said, this was a little bit of a down issue for me. I, I didn't find myself laughing as much um, <laughs> as previous issues but it's still a heck of a lot of fun you, know, you do have to have these sort of down issues that that, that uh, at times it sort of just moved the story along but having this angsty teen version of uh of deathstroke was was great uh, yeah the baby scene i was like oh man it's funny but at the same time like uh, man is anything say is anything sacred like they, they won't fight the um the clones of uh, the brain's original body, which I think they refer to themselves as janitors uh, or engineers or what have you, but they fight the babies, but at least we don't get uh, like actual scenes of them uh, punching babies, <laughs> but the Steve Pugh art and um, the, uh, the limited color palette in the action scenes where we just get like two colors works really, really well. Um, and then, yeah, they find Bruce Wayne. They, they realized uh, or uh, Red B realizes that um, that the brain was the one behind the war wheel, which you know killed what he refers to as his boys, his uh, his platoon back in the war. Um, and then yeah, he he goes after and, and tries to attack the uh, the war maker, uh, which is what uh, the brain calls himself when he's in the, the this clone body of uh, of Deathstroke. So. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. The, the heroic sacrifice by Michael, obviously, which, again, can't be in regular DC continuity, as Rocky mentioned, because 
yeah, that bee sacrifices himself, but yet we just saw that bee in the pages of Justice Society, which I don't know, maybe you could have, could have been Michael Jr. How, how does a bee live that long anyway? Um, and then, the, yeah, the brain, uh, when Red Bee manages to take out the, the clone body of Deathstroke that the brain is in, then they drop, uh, Monster Mala drops the brain into chemo, uh, chemo, uh, whichever pronunciation you prefer. Uh, and then, yeah, the brain basically has the body of, of chemo. So, yeah, I mean, just absolutely ludicrous what happens in these peacemaker issues, just the zaniness, the wackiness, um, that being said, you're zany and wacky and funny, and you might think, oh, well, you know, all ages. Definitely not all ages. <laughs> this is not yeah. all ages. Tons of violence, bad language, what have you. Uh, definitely for mature readers, that's why it's Black Label. But, it, yeah, it's a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, all right, up next we have Steelworks, number four, from writer Michael Dorn, Sami Basri, and Vicente Sifuentes as artists, Andrew Dollhouse on colors, Rob Lee on letters. I continue to be really, really uh, impressed by the writing of Michael Dorn here. He really has a great understanding of not only John Henry Irons, but also the relationship that John Henry has with Lana Lang. Uh, this whole idea of revenge, the silver mist character, corporate espionage, zero point um, energy reactor, like all these ideas are, are really fun. Uh, and the fact that uh, Dorn writes John Henry Irons as, as being a, more aware of even things that read, us readers aren't aware of. Um, and I know sometimes it can be annoying as a reader when it feels a little ex deus machina when um, a particular character is kind of one step ahead of us and they, they do something and it looks like the situation's going one way and something bad has happened and it turns out that the character was aware all along and sort of set the villain up. I, I sort of like that as long as it's not done too much. That's what John Henry Irons has done here with the zero point um, energy reactor, which is based on the Genesis energy, Genesis technology from Warworld. Uh, and so how Dorn is tying it in with events that have happened in the Superman comics in the last couple of years is, uh, is fantastic as well. Because um, I was sort of, as, as we read this and as uh, Mist tries to steal the zero point module, and then we find out that it was a dummy and John Henry Irons is just walking through his uh, his building with it out for everybody to see. It turns out that's a dummy as well. Um, but then, unfortunately, uh, the real one does get stolen. So I was ready to call John Henry Irons out for, you know, just walking around. Here you, you hid this piece of technology because you didn't want anyone to know. And then when seemingly it's stolen, you're walking around with the actual one, showing everybody that it wasn't stolen. Um but then he sort of outsmarts himself because the, the real one does get stolen, apparently. So it's almost like a, a triple take, if you will. Um, but it keeps the story moving. It keeps it exciting. I was really uh, impressed with the art in this issue as well from um, Basri and Sifuentes. Really, really well done. The color work is fantastic. Um, really, again, like the characterization, the voice of Steel that uh, that Dorn gives John Henry Irons. Um because I've never really been that interested. I, I think I said before that Steel was uh, the least interesting to me of all the, the Superman replacements when he died. Um, so I've, I've never had as much fun reading him as I have had in uh, in this series so far. So, uh, And again, the, sil the Silver Mist character who, you know, you could kind of compare him to Insomnia with his family um, 
He blames John Henry Irons for the loss of his family, much like Insomnia blames the Justice League for the loss of his family. But although Insomnia wants to take his revenge, uh, the Silver Mist character, you know, doesn't. He sort of has to be forced into it. It's it's such a different take and a little more um, refreshing that it's not the same old, oh, I blame you, John Henry Irons. I'm going to go and ruin your life the way you ruined mine. Silver Mist even says at, at the beginning, um, when he first gets the powers, he says, well, you know, why would I go along with this revenge scheme that you have? That's not going to bring my family back. So again, that's that's a little bit um, refreshing when he confronts uh, whatever his name is, Walker the um, Third, Charles Walker the um, Third, when he says, "Yeah, you, you want me to go along with this, and you're going to give me these powers, and I'm going to go fight Steel? That why? It's you know for revenge. Why? That's not going to bring my family back. That that's a refreshing take rather than falling into the same old trope of, you know, oh, you ruined my life, so I'm going to ruin yours. So uh, again, just not falling into those same old uh, traps and tired story uh, plot points uh, shows that Dorn has a, a knack for this. So whether or not he writes more, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, what'd you think of it? Yeah, I, I liked it. I, and I, I liked how he incorporated the, the, the Genesis energy from the war world saga be, because they had the Genesis fragment and they, he incorporated, uh, you know, John Henry Irons has created zero point energy and he's, he's, he's still, wrestling with the dilemma with the moral dilemma while well, i've created this to what extent should he introduce it to society uh he's inclined to to want to introduce it to society to create a city that can protect itself and maybe he dreams of a, of a day and age where the society doesn't necessarily need superheroes uh, and and but the fact that the fact that this there's been some disturbing things that happened to the superman family with uh, uh with with interacting with the Genesis, the Genesis fragment and the zero point energy. There was, there was that on the Superman day, or I think, uh, was it Metropolis day in the action comics annual, uh, where something happened to Connor and Supergirl. Uh, it, uh, I, I suspect what, what's happening here is I think John Henry Irons might be heading toward the discovery that this zero point energy hasn't is maybe not is maybe he didn't perfect it as much as he thought. There's going to be some negative consequence to it that's going to make it more dangerous than it actually is, and that will become paramount, or that will we will discover that in future issues. I'm guessing because the the villain here, this Silver Mist, has managed to steal it, and now that this Walker, uh, this leader of wa- ruler, or this corporate guru of Walker Incorporated has this zero point energy and he uses it. Something's going to go wrong. You just know something's going to go awry. Uh, I agree with you. Michael Doran's done a really good job here of, of sort of setting everything up, doing a lot of some misdirection. John Henry Irons isn't as smart as he thinks he is. He was, he was outwitted here. He lost the zero point, uh, uh, the, the device. And it, it was really good. And I really like the relationship between John Henry Irons and Lana Lang. I like how Michael Dorn is respecting that. And he's bringing back, he's given Lana Lang some gravitas, given her some agency that she hasn't had in a long time since going back to her, her Superwoman series. So I really like that they brought her back. And hopefully she'll play, it looks like she's going to play more of a role moving forward, which is really good to see as well. So, yeah, it was a good issue. All right. Up next, we have Shazam, issue number three, written by Mark Wade and Dan Mora. Actually, they're listed as storytellers. Wade 
writing, Dan Mora drawing. They're probably both plotting. Alejandro Sanchez is on the colors. Dan Mora uh, also did the main cover. And we've got some other covers, John Timms, Chris Somney, Mateus Lopez, Carla Cohen, uh, and Edwin Galman. Um, so uh, one of the things, and maybe, you know what, I'll wait and I'll, I'll mention that when we talk about Poison Ivy. Uh, what do you think of this? Uh, well, finally, we're getting into the meat and potatoes uh, of this uh, series because, uh, and, and I like where on the opening page we got we, we got all the all the gods that make up the Shazam name. You know, we got uh, we got Solomon, uh, Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, uh, Mercury, Zeus, and Achilles, and the, the the gods of Shazam are they're kind of like a little bit jealous. They, they they each want their turn to control Billy Batson. They don't like the way Billy Batson is sort of wasting his powers. And uh, last issue we saw Fr uh, Freddie <laughs> Freddie Freeman uh, walked in on the the gods as they were doing their machinations of trying to manipulate Billy Batson. And uh, of course he stands right up to him. Freddie is a very brave kid, and Mark Wade does a good job of illustrating that. And the the gods all the gods they they laugh at him they perhaps they tacitly respect his his ridiculous bravery but they they cause him they, they make him lose his memory and freddie freddie uh freddie becomes an unwitting he, he he becomes a spy for basically the gods and uh he goes back to to billy and he's basically he's the gods can keep an eye on billy but they're very pissed off at billy because goddamn Billy's not changing in the Shazam because Billy knows every time he changes in the Shazam, he seems to lose control of his emotions or he, lose, he loses controls of his of his powers. And Billy doesn't really know why. Billy doesn't know that the gods are forcing him to use his powers. He feels he's he doesn't have control of his powers. And in a sense, he's right. Um he, but he, he doesn't have control of them, but he can't he doesn't control the the, the strength of the powers. And and <laughs> it's it's actually kind of it's actually kind of it's got a comedic aspect to it. That's what I like, and and yet it's while it's comedic, it it, it possesses enough uh, believability to me that uh, you know, as frustrated as Billy is, Billy can't seem to concentrate. I mean, the the, the wisdom of Solomon seems to be eluding him uh, because, in fact, Solomon amongst the gods seems to be. Uh, well, unsurprisingly, Solomon is the only member of the of uh i guess the gods that i guess isn't really a god apparently according to atlas and he he wants i i think he wants to maybe give billy some some more wisdom because at times if if billy has too much strength the strength of atlas or or the strength of hercules or the courage of atlas and the strength of hercules but he he doesn't have enough wisdom then that's a problem all of them operate in synchronicity with each other and so when the gods of that make up Shazam aren't working together and when they're bickering with each other that has consequences for Billy Batson when he turns into Shazam and i like the way how Mark Wade shows that that struggle with Billy and Billy is just in Billy's afraid to change in his Shazam and he breaks up, uh, you know, he prevents a, a bully from harassing another kid, but, and he gets hit for it, but he, he, again, he refuses to change in his Shazam and he, he still, he has his own, uh, he, he's still trying to preserve his moral compass, but, and finally Zeus gets pissed off at him because they want Billy to change into Shazam, but he won't. So Zeus forces him to change by creating, uh, by creating what looks going to happen to be a big accident, a vehicle accident. And it forces, uh, Billy to change into Shazam and, um, and more, 
and more craziness ensues. This is fun. I, I uh, you know, again, Mark Wade between this and world's finest, Mark Wade continues to just plain. This, this is a delight to read. It's, it's entertaining. It's fun. I, you know, again, this is probably one of, it's not my favorite this week, but this, this was a lot of fun. Uh, Mark Wade really knows these, he knows these characters. And I, I had some doubts as to whether or not, uh, you know, a bickerings amongst the gods of Shazam, you know, Shazam, you know, Atlas and Zeus and all that, all their bickerings that, that it, I thought it would maybe be too silly, but it actually is kind of entertaining. I'm, I, I find myself oddly enough entertained by it. I don't know how Zeus is still alive. I thought he was killed by, uh, I thought he was killed by the wizard, but I guess you can't kill Zeus. He comes back. I thought he was killed during that Wonder Woman run, but that's neither here nor there. Continuity is a little wonky as it is, but uh, this was really good. The, the art by Dan Mora is, again, fa it's just fantastic. I mean, the scenes here are just excellent. Uh, the battle sequences, the, the the majesty of Thor, the 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 expressions on on the the gods themselves, the magic. You know, it, it, you know, it looks like it looks like a lot's at stake here, and there there are still some secrets that we don't know. That it's uh, I, there's still some pieces of the puzzle that I haven't quite put put together yet. But I'm enjoying the read. What about yourself? Oh, sorry, you're on mute there. Sorry. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, I was definitely not expecting to see Gargax show up as a <laughs> villain in, in Shazam. Uh, you know, typically he's a Doom Patrol villain, but it's kind of nice to see. Um, and so it, it seems like, I mean, this this first arc that we've gotten from Wade, it seems like it's been sort of focused on Billy's powers getting out of control and him not understanding why, and we're still not 100% understanding why either, but yeah, it is an interesting aspect to have um, the, you know, the basically the pantheon of gods that gives Shazam his powers, you know, saying, hey, we're, you know, we're not getting, he's not being our champion, and Zeus, as you mentioned, sort of forces him into, into changing, so th that feels like, you know, whatever's going on with Billy and, and his powers, that's going to sort of fade into the background, while exactly what this pantheon of gods have in store for Billy and what they want is going to come a little more to the forefront as they've basically made Freddy their spy. You know, they can see through Freddy's eyes and hear through Freddy's ears of whatever's going on. So that's going to be a little bit in the background as well. And it seems like this next arc is going to focus on Gargax, Emperor Gargax, as he's calling himself, and his moon base. And we'll figure out what Gargax has, what axe he has to grind with the... Um, the gorillas of uh, of Gorilla City, and and why they're they are, or maybe we should turn it around and say wh what do the gorillas of Gorilla City have against Gargax? Because Gargax apparently wasn't doing anything to them, wasn't doing anything to the gorillas, and they they lied to Billy and said that yeah, this base on the moon, which is Gargax base, you know they're they're threatening to blow up Gorilla City when Gargax didn't didn't wasn't doing anything of the of the sort. So uh, if I know Mark Wade, this will all tie in together. Um, you know, maybe the gorillas were the ones that were causing Billy's powers to go out of control. Maybe Gargax has something to do with that. <laughs> How this all ties in with the Pantheon of Gods, not really sure, but interesting the way that Wade has set things up where there's all these little subplots going on. Uh, the main portion of the series being focused on Billy being out of control and losing his powers. 
uh, when using his powers rather, uh, and how Mark Wade's going to make that all count in the end, because I, I promise you he will. That's just what he does. So, uh, the art is really, really strong as well. Um, continues to be great. Gargax looks gigantic and ridiculous with his, uh, headband and green skin and purple robe as he always does when he shows up. So, um, yeah, I mean, Dan Mora continues to be a fantastic storyteller. I love that. Um, he's, uh, credited as a, as a storyteller as basically a co plotter, if you will, with Mark Wade on this Mark Wade passing along his, uh, sto- storytelling skills and talent is, uh, is never a bad thing. So, uh, yeah, it continues to be a lot of fun. And the other thing that's great about it is you don't have to be reading anything else. You literally don't have to read any other DC comic or have read anything that comes before the Shazam run. I would argue you don't even have to read any of this Shazam run before picking up this issue. You could pick up this yeah. issue and sort of hit the ground running because um, it definitely feels, I mean, again, only issue three, so probably pretty easy to go back and pick up issues one and two. Um, but it definitely seems like Wade is, is firing on all, all cylinders, height of his powers right now for sure. Uh, okay, up next we have The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, number 10. If you forgot this series was coming out, uh, yeah, not surprising. Some delays, and then we had, of course, the two months off for the Night Terrors event, which I'll talk about that even more when we talk about Poison Ivy next. But, yeah, I'd sort of forgotten about this one as well until I saw the the title. Uh, but anyway, it's issue number 10. Matthew Rosenberg is the writer. Carmen A. D. Jean Domenico is the artist. Romulo Fajardo Jr. on colors. Um a bit of a transitional issue, which I suppose we, we needed. Um, we only get one of the Jokers uh, in this, and we, we get a backup story with art by uh, Frank Avia that's also been written by Matthew Rosenberg. But this time it's sort of in continuity. It's in the story as Joker's in the hospital, and he goes and picks up a comic there and reads it. And what he reads is the Joker story. And in the Joker story in the comic, Joker basically – has one of his henchmen that is um, exposed to Joker gas, but doesn't die. And he takes advantage of that by creating sort of a, a second Joker, if you will. And then when he gets run, done reading the story, he's like, hold on a second. Now I know who created this other Joker that's been running around. It was me. Uh, so really, is that is that the answer? Is the other Joker that's been running around all this time really just somebody that the Joker himself created? I got to be honest, the Joker and the idea of three Jokers and multiple Jokers and whatever should have never come around in my mind. Somebody at DC editorial should have gone, nah, that's not a good idea. I know it's Jeff Johns and anything Jeff Johns makes is going to sell or writes is going to sell, but um, it just didn't work. You know, I, the three Joker story was my biggest disappointment for the year that it came out. I just thought it was terrible, wasn't well executed, and now... I, we were wondering if this Matthew Rosenberg story was going to actually make that make sense. Um, apparently not. It's not going to make it make sense. You probably can't make it make sense. So I, I've been I've been trying to stay positive with the series. Matthew Rosenberg is a writer whose work I typically enjoy. Um, this had some strikes against it from the beginning, being that it was a Joker story. I think Joker's overused. But I've been trying to stay positive and trying to l- look at the things that are working. Um but this latest revelation, it just had me sort of shaking my head because um, it's like we're supposed to care and we're supposed to be invested. And now, and again, this may not be the case, but 
what this issue seems to insinuate is this other Joker is just some random Joker henchman that got exposed to Joker gas and survived it. What? Like that's what, why am I supposed to care? Uh, so yeah, this, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure what to think. Um, this may be one of those, uh, situations where I'm just not going to be able to properly judge this story until I get to the end and see, you know, all the clues that were left and all the context, you know, the rest of the story, the preceding issues will have more context once we get to the end. Um, but then, you know, there's the argument to be made, well, shouldn't you enjoy the journey of getting to the end? Yeah. That, 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 that you know, you're spending three, four bucks a month. It's a long that's, journey. Probably, that's yeah, that's probably the case, right? It's the investment. But again, it's on me if I'm spending money on a title called The Joker when I'm not a fan of The Joker. And I, I will say this, you know, um, DC's really been leaning into The Joker as this uh, idea of this agent of chaos uh, recently. And I will say that the art by Carmen A. Dijon Domenico is chaotic and it does sort of um, convey that, that take on The Joker, if you will. But again, that's that's not something that interests me. Um, so whether it's narratively or artistically, this is not a book I would be picking up uh, and reading if it wasn't for the fact that we get these press previews. So I know it's not for me, but I do imagine, and I've said this before, that if Matthew Rosenberg could make the three Joker thing make sense, um, he could maybe do it in such a way the Joker would go from one of my least uh, liked characters to maybe one of my favorite characters, the potential is there. Um, you know, and that's of course setting aside the overuse of the character. Uh, but, you know, again, night terrors interrupted this as well. So it's hard to remember what's going on. And I feel like the, um, the night terrors Joker book that we got was sort of all over the place as well. So man, I'm really struggling with the Joker these days. Again, part of it is the overuse of the character. I just get tired of seeing him and I get tired of the fact that Batman has a hard time defeating the Joker. Cause let's face it, if Batman were a real character in real life and the Joker were a real character in real life, it would take all of 30 seconds for Batman to be down on that spindly non uh, physically um, adept human. Like it's just, he doesn't have any fighting skills. He just doesn't, right? Yeah. He wouldn't be able to stand up to Batman at all. Um, so I just find that to be ridiculous, and it, it just bugs me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with this one a little bit. But, again, recognize the fact it's not for me. I'm not a Joker fan. Um, but it feels a bit uh, – I don't know. I just worry. It feels a bit of a letdown, uh, anticlimactic, if it turns out that this second Joker was just a, a Joker henchman that survived Joker gas. So – I don't know. Yeah. Am I missing something, Rocky? Well, I, I, I don't think you're missing anything. I, I would just, I would put a slightly different spin on it. The way I saw it is that when the Joker read that kid's comic book, and, and by the way, the, he was reading a Wonder Woman comic book and it had a Joker story in it. I thought that was really odd. Did you yeah. notice that? I, I thought, yeah, I did. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, well, they put a Wonder Woman cover on it because of Tom King's Wonder Woman. That's <laughs> yeah. what I thought. Yeah, so I thought, what does that have? What is, Wonder, what is the Joker doing in a Wonder Woman comic? But in any event, that's neither here nor there. So I, I think it, it just jogged. I got the impression it jogged his memory that not not necessarily that he created uh, his own doppelganger 
by from Joker gas, but maybe, maybe, maybe he did create his doppelganger, but through another means, but it just jogged his memory. Maybe never occurred to him that he's the cause that his, the joke, it never occurred to the Joker that his own actions may have created his doppelganger. And maybe that like, maybe he caused him to review all the crazy things that he's done to his, his henchmen. Cause he's, let's face it. He's killed his henchmen in horrible ways. And theoretically the Joker's pretty smart too. We forget that the Joker is actually fairly good with chemicals and everything else. Is it? So maybe he's sort of put together that, you know, he, oh, maybe that is possible. And it's kind of funny that he got the idea from a comic book that a comic book. And I think that was sort of like the inside joke that Matthew Rosenberg, he wants us all to laugh at because this is the, this is the second time now that Rosenberg, the second reference, how, how the comic book kind of was referenced in the story. It was uh, about three or four issues back. I, I can't remember this exact manner in which it was, but in any event, I, I thought it was a little, Unfortunately, this is this I I will say that I'm fairly positive this will read much better as a trade as a 12 issue series from start to finish because it's hard for us to remember. I mean, a two month break coming back into this. I mean, it's hard to remember exactly what the hell happened in previous issues. But then again, we don't really need to remember much because we just know that there's two jokers running around. I have to admit, I don't have I compl- I don't know which jokers which anymore. I, 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 I'm constantly confused just when I think I got a handle on it, I'm wrong. And I think maybe I would get a better handle on it if, if I just read it all in one sitting. And, uh, but this, this, these types of stories really don't work well when you're telling one long chase story. And that's really what this was. This is like one long chase story. It's or one long treasure hunt slash chase story where they're, it's it doesn't work well in a twelve issue series when you when you deal with so many multiple different types of characters and and then all the bat care so many members of the bat family are in this like between Manhunter Jason Todd and what have you and but yet no Batman where's Batman again I'm I guess maybe this is when he's in the middle of a coma I I don't know uh, but anyways um, in fact wasn't it maybe in this one where they mention that did they even make a path passing reference to Gotham War in this. About, yeah, might have might have been. Um, I think they kind of did. Yeah. Which well, I I say that because it sort of builds on your point because the that when you and I were arguing with each other earlier off off air, uh, this does suggest that there is still crime occurring, but but uh, it's just not as but because this references that a lot of the other A list villains are having a hard time finding henchmen. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what it is in here. Um, Wesker, uh, the ventriloquist, he said he wanted you to know uh, the men are, are uh, the henchmen short. I think the henchmen shortage the town is experiencing, coupled with the Joker's reputation, has really impacted our potential candidate pool. Right. So, yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they reference it. But, yeah, the other yeah, the other part of this um, that you, you mentioned, uh, and maybe this is just a theme with Rosenberg. I, I feel like a lot of times when we review his stuff, we go, well, his stuff would read a lot better in a trade. Um, and it, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of people say that about Bendis because the stuff is so decompressed that it reads better as a trade. You feel like you get a bigger chunk of story. I, f- I don't feel like that's the case with Rosenberg. His stuff's not necessarily decompressed. You still get a big chunk of story most of the time. Not this particular issue, I'd say. This is a little lighter on, on moving the narrative forward. But a lot of times in his issues, you get a lot of things that happen. Um, but his stories just tend to have, have so many characters 
and people change allegiances and alliances and whatever. And maybe again, it's just the sort of nature of the stories he writes, like whether he's writing Wildcats, where people are betraying each other left and right, or he's writing um, Task Force Z, where people are betraying people left and right, or it's these jokers who are doing crazy things on a whim and you know changing directions and, and thoughts and plans left and right, that it makes it a little hard to, to follow. Um, so yeah, maybe it's just the nature of his stories uh, in a different way from somebody like Bendis, where his stuff just reads better in a trade. I don't know. Uh, all right. On to the last book we're going to talk about in detail. It's Poison Ivy number 14, uh, written by G. Willow Wilson. Marcio Takara is the artist. Arif Prianto on colors. Hassan Atman Elhal on letters. Um, I, I, okay. So here's where I'm going to go on my little bit of a mini rant here. I've been saving it up, I guess. <laughs> this issue, more than any, really illustrated to me, again, the misstep of doing this summer event and pausing all the other books. I could not for the life of me remember what the hell happened in the last issue of Poison Ivy. I had to go and dig it out and find it um, and and read it again and, and then, oh, yeah, okay. So Poison Ivy went to the little shack in the swamp, ran into uh, Killer Croc. Killer Croc mentioned that he couldn't live in the sewers underneath Gotham anymore because this corrupt corporation was you know building condominiums and – uh, and Pamela's like, oh, that's great. We need more housing, uh, you know, affordable housing. And Croc's like, no, it's not going to be affordable housing. It's, it's you know, for all these wealthy people to, to park their wealth in. Um, and so then she went and uh, and she ended up finding a dead body. And that's where this one picks up. So I, I did not remember that at all, even though I read it, we covered it, we talked about it. So that's the kind of thing that is really frustrating when they do some big event and then, I'm forced to go back and reread. It's hard enough with the amount of comics I read to remember one month to the next, let alone remembering three months back. So I don't know if you if you remembered Rocky or if you had to go back and look at it. Um, uh, no, I did not. I did not remember that. No, I, I you, you helped me. I just I just uh, yeah, I just, just sort of plowed like, through. Yeah. I just plowed through it. And yeah, yeah. yeah, I was like, yeah, I couldn't. I was like, why is she in this building walking around like what? the? And then for this issue itself, not much happens. Yeah, she walks around this building where she found the, this dead body um, and gets the name of the corporation, calls Janet from HR, her, her s- sort of sidekick, I guess you'd say, uh, her non-Harley sidekick, and gets her to go and do a job interview all, all in the time. She manages to call and set up a job interview in the time that Pamela is walking around this building. I was like, okay, uh, we won't think about the timing of that. Uh, and then she eventually runs into this guy who has a basically a big blue flower for a head. So how that's all going to play out, how it ties into the Lamia spores, I guess we'll wait and see. Meanwhile, we get a couple of interactions between Janet and Harley. Janet does, uh, doesn't does get the job with Undyne Industries is the name of the, the, the corporation, but she does kind of learn enough to see that things are suspicious there. And we also get Batman confronting Janet from HR saying, what are you doing hanging around with Pamela Isley? She's a terrorist. Um, go and save yourself. Uh, so everything in this issue happens in, in basically the course of an afternoon, which doesn't always seem like it's necessarily that realistic, but not that much happens. It's sort of a, a setup issue, if you will, uh, with getting some perspective on the relationship. I, I guess it's a 
three. I don't want to use the word three way because that, uh, that, that I will. Yeah, I know you will, but that, yeah, that implies some sort of sexual whatever, but Harley, Harley and Janet do kiss. So maybe it is heading in that direction. Menage a trois, if you will. But yeah, this, this, this triangle, this, uh, three person relationship dynamic between Harley and Pamela and Janet and poison Ivy, which keep in mind that poison Ivy and Janet did sleep together when they were high on, whatever was in that uh, drink at the, the wellness seminar that they went to. Um, and Harvey, uh, Harley doesn't know that yet. So how that might play out, what drama that might uh, engender, I guess we'll wait and see. But then if Harley and Janet end up sleeping together, then isn't it just sort of quid pro quo? Oh, yeah, you hit the mute button, I think. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, a little bit of a quid pro quo if, if Harley and Janet end up sleeping together. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. So yeah, a little bit of a setup issue, focusing a little bit on, on relationship stuff. Um, and yeah, introduction of Blue Flower Face Man, I guess, whoever that is. We'll have to see. What do you think of it? Uh, I'm actually really curious I, of who the this Blue, f- <laughs> the blue f- Flower Face Man is is it's actually it's the cover is fantastic i really love cover a for once cover a i think is actually the best because this blue flower face man is is this mysterious person at the end who may or may not be responsible for killing you know for i don't know for killing the person in the building i'm not really sure what's going on we know that uh, you know thanks to your wonderful summary there poison ivy is investigating this uh, i guess corporate takeover of uh, you know of some company buying off a bunch of properties in gotham and and maybe i don't know somehow you know pissing off poison ivy because she wants to use them for herself or they might be harming the environment I, i'm not sure janet from hr Standing up to Batman, panicking when, you know, you know, she slaps Batman when Batman tries to warn her to stay away from Poison Ivy, which you would expect Batman to do. Um, and then Janet, I mean, she's she basically makes a pass at at Harley. Harley didn't hit, you know, Janet from HR just made a pass at Harley. And I don't think she's under the influence of any pheromone. Uh, like she was, I mean, you could explain maybe Poison Ivy and Janet getting together because of the fair, you know, because of the drugs or the, the you know, the with the mist or whatever it was, the pheromones in the air at, at the wellness retreat. But Janet throwing herself at Harley like that. I don't know. Maybe she's just maybe she's just one of those free, free people. She likes to, you know, spread, spread her joy. And uh, and it's interesting. I'm really curious as to where it's going, because. What's I'm curious what Jay Willow Wilson is she if I I'm guessing that she thinks that Harley and Poison Ivy are very open and that they have an understanding that they can kind of be with whoever they like is is that what I, that's the strong implication here I'm just I'm I'm just kind of curious as to what Jay Willow Wilson what she's thinking or if Janet has some sort of agenda here or if she wants to play one off against the other. I'm actually kind of curious, and uh, for you know, I, as a Pyrian fanboy, I'm all for the the three way. By by all means, bring it on. But I am actually curious as to character wise, I would have, for some reason, I didn't, I wouldn't think that Harley wants to share Poison Ivy, and 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 vice versa, quite frankly. But maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe you know, maybe maybe those Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, they're very different things to very different re- to different people. So. Who knows what direction they're going to go? Because between the Harley Quinn comic, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy and Poison Ivy, between the cartoon 
we got very different iterations in between Harley on the Suicide Squad and uh but in any event uh interesting issue interesting issue and we'll we'll see where it leads yeah i mean there is something magnetic about harley apparently when uh when you're with her and so yeah janet's saying i never you know saw what pam sees in you and now i see it and then you know, plants plants one on her so yeah i guess well I guess let's, we'll see. let's put it this way i mean just imagine i mean i hope that harley does have that magnetic personality because I can't wait for Big Barda to make a pass at her and Black Canary and uh, Zealot and Cassandra Cain. The, the, that uh, Birds of Prey series is going to be very, very interesting moving forward. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know Harley's often portrayed as um, as very attractive at times. I have never found her to be attractive. No, no, not the old version of her and her old Harlequin, classic Harlequin costume or her new version. I don't know. Maybe it's her zany personality that's always been a turnoff or the white skin. I don't know. I've never found her to be be attractive. I, I don't know why that is. Maybe that's just me. Uh, anyway, that does it for the uh, single issues that we're going to uh, discuss. I think, and I think that's all the single issues. Yeah, we, record, we uh, covered everything other than there is a Blue Beetle Spanish version uh, that first issue. But as far as collections go, there's quite a few of them out this week. Uh, Nightwing Fear State trade paperback, which I, I had forgotten. I had blocked out, I think, uh, the Batman Fear State uh, event with um, uh, I can't even remember. It had Scarecrow in it and then it had the, whatever the oh, fascist police state. Oh, the uh, uh, magistrate. Yeah, the magistrate. magistrate. Uh, uh, yeah, tied in with future state. Uh, all stuff's better left for, yeah. yeah, yeah, better left forgotten in my mind. But anyway, <laughs> if you're curious, uh, this is in within the Tom Taylor run, but not really uh, tied in with his run um, with what he's actually trying to do. And the art, artist is different as well. It's Robbie Rodriguez. But anyway, it collects uh, Nightwing eighty four, eighty five, and eighty six, and Nightwing twenty twenty one annual number one, and then Nightwing Batman feature story from Batman Urban Legends number 10. Uh, we've got a Batman Under the Red Hood deluxe edition hardcover. So this is uh, basically Jason Todd coming back. Uh, so this collects Batman 635 through 641, Batman 645 through 650, Batman Annual 25, Red Hood The Lost Days 1 through 6, and selected pages from Batman 617 and 618. Uh, we've got uh, a collection, hardcover collection of Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, which concludes the Undead Gods story from Tom Taylor uh, with art by Trevor Hairsign, And then uh, a Superman Kal-El Returns trade paperback, which collects Superman, Son of Kal-El 16 through 18, Action Comics 1047 to 1049, and Superman Kal-El Returns Special 1. So this is basically... Um, after the uh, War World Revolution, so Mark Wade, Tom Taylor, Philip Kenny Johnson, all uh, uh, teaming up to to tell this story um, of after Superman comes back from that gladiatorial war world. Uh, also, the Batman Adventures Omnibus Hardcover. This is collecting the Batman uh, Adventures, which is based on the cartoon. Um, so this is the would contain that uh, issue 12 that's very expensive with the first uh, comic book appearance of Harley Quinn. It actually collects the entire Batman Adventures run, number one through 36, Batman Adventures Annual 1 and 2, Batman Adventures Holiday Special 1, a story from Batman Black and White, number one, and the Batman Adventures Mad Love, number one, which uh, is the first 
Uh, oh, and the first time never before reprinted comic adaption of the animated feature film Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, nice. Batman Justice Buster Volume 1, which collects... Uh, actually, what does this collect? Uh, it doesn't say. Written by Alicia Shimuza. So I imagine this is a manga version of Batman uh, based on the uh, Asian characters, Batman Justice Buster and the uh, cover with manga style art. Yeah, this looks like a, an English version of a uh, manga Batman story. Joker One Operation, trade paperback, um, which is written. Uh, this is also a manga adaption written by Satoshi Miyagawa. And then finally, Batman 78, uh, sorry, Superman 78, Batman 89 hardcover box set. So that collects the Robert Venditti Superman 78 series as well as the Sam Hamm uh, Batman 89, which was basically if Tim Burton had done a third Batman movie and it would have starred um, Billy Dee Williams as Two-Face. And that's the story we got in uh, Batman 89. So those are the collections that are out this week. Uh, I guess it's time for picks, Rocky. What do you have for a uh, book of the uh, week? Well, uh, you want to go first? I can go first if you like. Uh, yeah, it was pretty easy for me, actually. Um, as much as I enjoyed um, a lot of the books this week, including Peacemaker and Justice Society, uh, as well as the, the new Blue Beetle series that kicked off, I got to go with uh, I got to go with with Birds of Prey. Uh, what Kelly Thompson did on that that last that last page with just you know giving us. Again, a very well done recruitment issue, very high quality with good art. Yeah. Um, but I just would have said, yeah, kind of your standard uh, recruitment issue in terms of, of storytelling and structure. But then for her to just throw those couple of bombshells of uh, a future version of Maps Mizuguchi, this Meridian character, and then, yeah, the fact that Sin is being held prisoner by the Themyscarians. Yeah, that, that was just like, that is the way you set up a last page to ensure that your readers are going to show up for issue number two. So yeah. it's maybe one of those rare uh, occurrences where second issue outsells the first. I don't know. They, they do a lot of covers and there are a lot of covers for birds of prey. Number one, including a fantastic um, art germ, uh, big Barda cover that I ordered. Um, but yeah, I got to go with birds of prey. Kelly Thompson, man, she just continues through no fault of her own to be like one of my favorite writers. Right. Not, not, but, not that I would fault her for, for doing that, but you know, she's been my, my writer of the year before. And it, she does it in, in a way. I mean, I don't think a lot of people talk about her. She doesn't get a lot of press the way somebody like a Jeff Johns or a Tom King or Scott Snyder, but everything she does, everything she does just manages to really, really hit the spot for me. Like, uh, and it, it, it's just like such a high quality, caliber of work that she turns in like time after time, no matter what property is, whether it's over at Marvel, whether it's at DC, whether it's independent, like she's just a, a really talented storyteller. I don't think she gets enough credit for how good she is as a, as a writer. Hopefully with her coming across the street, having done Eisner winning stuff, right? She won an Eisner for her black widow series over at Marvel. Now she comes over to DC. Hopefully she can get some credit and people can say, Oh, she's not just great at writing Marvel, uh, Black Widow or Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers version of Captain Marvel or X-Men or what have you. Now she's come over to DC and does fantastic stuff. 
Like, I'd love to see your take on, on one of the big books. Give me Kelly Thompson on, on uh, Superman or, or Batman. And let's see, let's, let's get this woman uh, a little bit more recognition because uh, I think she deserves it. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, what are your thoughts on, uh, well, my, my first choice, my, my first choice is Birds of Prey, uh, but I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm uh, it was, I mean, it was, but I'm, I'm going to, I'll pick another one uh, only because I was very impressed with it. But I want to say something quick about Kelly Thompson. She did something that I didn't think was possible. She actually made me feel, she actually made me forgive Carol Danvers. She actually made Carol Danvers likable again for me because I didn't like Carol Danvers out of Civil War II for Marvel. <laughs> and it was, I, I, I had a hate on for, for Carol Danvers for the longest time. And, but I started reading Captain Marvel and lo and behold, uh, all, all of her issues on Captain Marvel. It was one of the last Marvel titles that I collected until I stopped reading Marvel entirely. But I, I, it was it was Kelly Thompson and Sardaski on Daredevil that I was. Those are the two holdouts, and uh, well now they're they're both gone. But in any event, so yeah, kudos uh, Birds of Prey. But I, I got us. I I think Blue Beetle is worth a mention. Uh, Josh Torello is the, I think did a really good job here. I think this is this is a, a sleeper. I think this is a, a sleeper issue, a sleeper hit. I uh, I think this is. I mean, I, I know no one cares about Ted Cord, uh, but. I think this was a really good issue and uh, the art was really excellent and definitely worth, uh, worth a look-see between and, and both opening issues and both, both read both accessible to new readers. So if, you know, DC continues to, I think get people, if they continue to pump out titles like this, they're going to get people interested. Birds of Prey, Blue Beetle, definitely both worth uh, checking out. Yeah. So uh, leave some comments, everybody in the, um, in the comments below, if you're checking us out on YouTube, give us your thoughts on who's right. Is Selena right? Is Batman right? Are they both right? Are they both wrong? Uh, yeah, Rocky and I had a very heated debate before we started recording. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely different different perspectives and uh, interesting that Zdarsky and Howard are giving us something to, uh, to think about. So don't forget to check us out on YouTube. Uh, as I mentioned, Rocky's channel, Comic Space Boom! Exclamation point. Leave comments like I mentioned. Now ring the notification bell, subscribe, um, so you know when new content uh, comes out. We really appreciate that. Uh, conversely, if you're checking us out on YouTube and you want to uh, listen to the other audio-only content from the Comic Source, just go to wherever you get your podcast, do a search for the Comic Source, and subscribe. Uh, have a great uh, episode that came out this week with writer Kenny Porter, who's uh, doing the Superman, uh, or Superboy, rather, Man of Tomorrow series, as well as the Schlub. Uh, he actually came on to talk about Spawn. He's in the midst of a giant Spawn reread. I'm trying to get the Daily Spawn um, <laughs> podcast started, started back up. I know Kenny was doing a reread. So uh, he previously has has read the first 100 issues, but hasn't read um, basically 101 to, to uh, 300, but then picked it back up with 300. So now he's just now getting into stuff that he's never read before. So we had a great conversation about Spawn. And of course, I couldn't have him on without talking about Schlub and Superboy. So we touched on those things as well. So go and check it out. It was a great conversation. Uh, as I mentioned, be sure you subscribe to both Comic Boom and The Comic Source. We appreciate the support as always. And we will talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. 
If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.